Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. There's nothing left for us to do Find the strength to see this through
with folks, and thank you once again for coming to Bart's Logic Political Talk, part of the growing grassroots and conservative conversation, and also part of the Patriot Journalist Network. And you can find the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. And normally I do not play the entire uh, song uh, in the beginning of the show, uh, but I decided to tonight uh, because of our special guest, Matt Fitzgibbons, I hope I said that correctly. Uh, he's going to be coming on to the show to uh, discuss his music, uh, as well as our topics, patriotism and politics. And I believe I do have uh, our guest on the line now. So let's welcome Matt. Thank you very much uh, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hi, good evening, Robert. How are you tonight? I'm very well. Thanks for having me on. Uh, doing, doing well. You're welcome. And uh, it's good to have you on and uh, have us solve what we've been going through with this election. I know your uh, your website's you know, nonpartisan, uh, but we've been covering a lot of the election, a lot of what's going on. And uh, we may uh, talk about that tonight. It usually seats in, of course. Uh, but let's go ahead and, and bring it to you. So tell us hey, may, first a little bit about I wanted to ask you a quick question, if I may. Sorry to interrupt. Who was the band? I'd never heard that tune before. It was a good tune. Yeah, I, I was thinking, I was, when I was listening to it, I was like, gosh, I know he's going to ask me that. And to be honest, I cannot remember. I'll, I'll give you a little background on it. Is that what it came from is that audio came from a, a video, actually, uh, that someone put together. See, back in 2012, we were uh, supporting Newt Gingrich for president, and uh, someone put together a video on YouTube uh, with a lot of, uh, you know, like pictures and things of that nature at people at uh, Newt Gingrich rallies and, and things of that nature, things with Newt Gingrich, uh, you know, basically saying, look, you know, a lot of the Romney uh, supporters wanted us to just go away, but uh, we weren't going to. And so someone put that together and kind of if you listen to the words of the song, uh, you know, you kind of get the gist of that. But to be honest, I, I can't remember who the band is. And when I've tried to do some research on finding that video again, I haven't been able to. Um, oh, that's So I can't oh, remember wow. the call. But you, you could probably, yeah, because there's a couple of different songs called We Are Soldiers, unfortunately. Uh, but, you know, with uh, with further research, I'm sure you can, you know, find who they are. Oh, it's just kind of uh, And, and perhaps we could do that tonight <laughs> for you. Oh, no, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't know, I don't, really, to be honest, don't even know what else. Uh, they do. <laughs> I mean, what other songs they have out there? Frankly, maybe maybe somebody will call in at some point and tell you who it is. There you go. Or I'll, or maybe uh, behind scenes, as I as I do here on the show, sometimes uh, I do research while other folks are asking questions or talking, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll do that as well. And uh, I do see some folks on the line. So when you're ready to chime in, uh, just push the one on your number dial, and we'll get you in. And then also, if you'd like to chime in, give us a call at 347-945-7428. Uh, but first, uh, Matt, let's uh, talk a little bit about your background. You know, and, you know, I think you said uh, off air in our conversation, and I find it interesting that I mentioned uh, then that you're the second guest in a row, actually, on our show who majored in philosophy <laughs> in college. And I'm just minoring in philosophy. If I would have taken two more courses, I would have. I did, uh, had uh, another minor. I ended up graduating two, um, but a couple more classes. What I had four, uh, and then philosophy would have been one of them. Uh, so tell us, yeah, definitely uh, more about your your background and and why you chose to to take this path of your own. I know you can't see, you can probably hear it, but I have a big smile on my face because uh, I graduated from the University of Connecticut, and there were 
I don't know the exact number, 27, 28,000 or something people, and there were two of us that got our degrees in philosophy. So <laughs> it's actually pretty rare. Wow. People either become attorneys or priests, typically. But I knew by the time I was 15 that that's what I wanted to do. I just ate up you know, anything and everything that I could find on philosophy. And frankly, I wanted to really study esotericism. Um, you know, ancient mystery schools and, and things that were non-Western mm-hmm. philosophy. But uh, I kind of got pulled into a political uh, direction. And um, after living overseas for a few years, uh, teaching English to advanced students at uh, companies like Nintendo, Mitsubishi, Sony, I had two college courses, uh, classes a week that I taught for two years in Japan as well. Um, so I was there for a little over two years, the third trip. But um Worked in Manhattan for a couple of years afterwards teaching advanced students. And I used to buy like a Wall Street Journal and a New York Times and bring in articles and demonstrate, you know, subtle uses of language. These were people who were extremely advanced, uh, folks who had doctor's degrees, for example, in their own countries and wanted to get one here, or uh, students who already had a graduate degree and were applying for a Ph.D., so the conversation started going really, really deeply. And I realized then that while the U.S. is composed of all of these people from around the rest of the world, what separates us from the rest of the world are these simple but timeless ideas in our founding documents, you know, the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights in particular, and, of course, the Constitution. And my historical knowledge was kind of spotty because I'd moved uh, around quite a bit when I was in high school and I'd covered certain sections, you know, a couple of times and other areas I had big holes. So I just decided to go back and just start from the beginning of time, essentially, you know, the first written record. And, and I ended up uh, really concentrating on uh, 18th century American history. And of course, you know, the world implications. And I'd been writing music since I was 15 so I wrote a tune called Well Earned back in 2003, 2004, something like that. And an Australian buddy of mine who was actually a very successful musician in Australia back in the 70s by the name of uh, Aidan Nolan heard it. And uh, we were hanging out having a beer, and he said, wow. He said, you know, maybe you should keep doing this, combining these two things. So uh, it took off. I wrote some more pieces, and uh, people seemed to like it, and I've been doing it ever since. Very, very passionate about these very simple concepts in the Bill of Rights. You know, notions like, for example, um, if you want liberty for yourself, then you have to have tolerance for your neighbor because you can't expect your neighbor to give it to you if you won't give it to them. So working with various libertarian groups and veterans and things like this, I've had the opportunity over the years to, uh, to really delve in deep, you know, to some of these issues and I try to stay out of partisan politics, but I got to tell you, this year it's getting rough. It's hard. <laughs> I bet. Well, especially if Hillary Clinton being the uh, <laughs> running, it's kind of hard. Uh, I'm a kind of a was almost an anybody but Hillary. Uh, I wasn't. I mean, really wasn't excited about, frankly, any of the folks who was uh, on the Republican side, really. Um, but <laughs> you know. Uh, whoever, uh, but whoever could be Hillary Clinton, uh, and of all those folks who are out there, I kind of think you know because I think Trump can take some of those red states. Uh, I mean, uh, blue states to turn them red. Uh, I think uh, he's got he probably has a better shot of all of them. But speaking of your uh, your music, uh, we do have three pieces that you've chosen that we will hear tonight, and uh, you know if we can get some backgrounds and commentary, 
you know, on those, you know, songs, why you read them, the meaning, you know, things of that nature. I think that'd be something that uh, not only myself, uh, of course, the audience would find uh, interesting. And so we'll do that. Now, tell us uh, more about, you know, what started you to uh, begin com. Well, that was kind of the heart of it. You know, it was after writing that song and having um, really dove into, I really dove into American history for a couple of years and just read everything I could get my hands on. And I'd been pretty well versed in political philosophy. But, of course, in a major university, you know, like the University of Connecticut, I had a phenomenal professor, okay? And I didn't know his political leanings until much, 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 much later, like close to graduation. Um, and um, But typically in, in universities, you end up with very collectivist, pro-statist sorts of views. Um, however, so you, having – they didn't have your Ruby Tocqueville. Say again? <laughs> I said, so they didn't have your Ruby Tocqueville? <laughs> oh no! Of course, uh, no. As a matter of fact, they didn't. But of course, I read it on my own a couple of times. Um, sure. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, de Tocqueville's uh, Democracy in America is still the most That's widely exactly read the one political I studied book in, in the world. In college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got that actually. I've got it. In, yeah, I collect books, and uh, that's one of the books I, I had in college. Actually, we did have a uh, college professor that. Uh, it was actually a political philosophy class I had us read Tuckville. It was many years ago, but, yeah, I still got it. Yeah, political philosophy classes for me were things like utilitarianism, you know, John Stuart Mill, Jeremy Bentham, things like, you know, the greatest mm-hmm. need for the greatest good and all of this other jazz. Utilitarianism, it, yeah. Yeah, you know, things like this of this sort. But, you know, I, I would add this. At various times in human history, we've seen these currents, these waves of synchronicity occur where – you get geniuses culminating in a particular place at a particular time. You know, the Renaissance, for example, the painters, you know, Da Vinci, Raphael, you know, Gal- uh, Galileo, for example, with science and Francis Bacon and all these others that created these huge revolutions, whether it be in art or science or literature. But it was in the 18th century in America that these incredibly well-read individuals from these 13 disparate colonies you know, um, came together under this really, really unique situation and devised a very complete, consistent system um, in terms of the Bill of Rights. Now, granted, it wasn't perfect, and it required, you know, a civil war in order to really sort it out and, you know, the suffrage movement, et cetera, et cetera. But by and large, I think that the size of it, because if you take the Declaration of Independence the uh, Constitution and the Bill of Rights, plus all of the other, you know, 27 amendments, or I should say all of the 27 amendments, and print it out. It's, you know, it's like 20 to 25 pages, depending on your font size. So our whole government is based on this relatively tiny document. You know, Europe is, still hasn't ratified their Constitution. It's like 30,000 pages. And um, less is more. So I'm very passionate about particularly our Bill of Rights, because I think that so many of the answers to our current and even future problems are right there in front of us. If, if only people would wake up and understand that they've got the power, that pulling a lever every four years is not going to do it. That's kind of the wrong attitude to look at, you know, representatives and a president and government as like a, like a mother or fatherly figure that's supposed to take care of it all. This is a republic, and, you know, it starts in the family you know, educating your children, you know, talking to your friends and family. So the whole music project was basically to try to bring down some of these concepts into 
bite-sized pieces that people get instinctively and um, and hopefully write really good music that inspires folks to want to think and talk about liberty and the relationship between the individual and government. And uh, I enjoy it very much, you know. So far it seems to work. Actually, I'm I'm going about 10 years now on it. Wow. Now, I see there's other musicians on uh, PatriotMusic.com uh, as well. Uh, there's uh, Rich Rogers on there as well as uh, the Sorensen, A.J. Sorensen. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Rich Roger is uh, one of my closest friends, a very interesting guy, by the way. He and I met in a, um, in a studio some years back. Um, he's a kind of a hired gun. The, uh, I played all over the world with lots of musicians, you know, since I was 18, and I'm uh, 40. How old am I now? 48? I guess I'm getting old. I can't remember that. But, um, you know, hey, all I'm these not too, musicians. too far from that, so you're not. <laughs> oh, there you go. So you know what I mean. You start. Actually, I forgot one year a couple of years ago. So at some point in my 70s, I think I'll be like 47 again just for the year because I didn't get that year. <laughs> there you go. I, I, I forgot. I was like 46 or something for two years in a row. You know, you stop thinking about it at some point. But uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? But this guy um, – you know, the first time I heard him play guitar, I was just mind blown. He he got Guitarist of the Year award from Guitar Magazine some years back. And um, Rich Roger, this is. Um, and, you know, he has handled all of the electrics and um, anything that's extremely complicated, anything that you hear. Like, I think one of the tracks that you're going you're gonna to spin tonight is called uh, Whiskey, and I wrote this about the Whiskey Rebellion. But you'll hear some pretty intricate acoustic guitaring and typically I'm the one who plays acoustic but in this piece um, you know Rich really shows off his subtle genius on an acoustic but phenomenal guitarist and a uh, good friend of mine and um, his parents I'll just mention this briefly his parents are, are originally from Poland and uh, they're older um, um, actually his mom is no longer with us but uh, it was recently but um, they uh, lived under both. They lived under both the Nazis and the Soviets, and then um, escaped and emigrated to the U.S. and had him. So, you can imagine the kind of a household that he grew up in. You know, his family um, mm-hmm. em- embraced uh, our founding principles in America in a way that most, you know, natively born Americans just don't have a clue. So we hit it off, you know, from the very beginning. A.J. Sorensen is a very talented musician in his own right, um, but he's also an incredible engineer, and he owns Sure Sound Studios. And uh, I started working with him a few years back as well, so he does all my engineering, you know, recording and um, mixing, mastering, and he's actually going to be playing bass on some of the new tracks that I'm going to be releasing. And uh, as the TV interviews come in, AJ is going to be right next to me playing acoustic, doing harmonies. So you hit the nail on the head that uh, these, you know, we're the three musketeers, I guess. Oh, there you go. And let's go ahead and uh, since you brought it up, uh, sometimes our guests uh, do very well with segueing into uh, either the next question or, you know, good segue into, you know, bringing up, uh, as you did, uh, the song. So let's go ahead and hear that play. Oh, great. Okay. Oh. 
west of Pittsburgh is home Since my granddaddy's days They've left us alone We lived on the river Where we made panther's breath Till the marshal brought death We had fought for your freedom From here to the east We cleaned out the Tories Till the land was at peace And we picked off the red coats With our frontiersmen aim Then the tax man came The Federalists said That they paid for the war So we covered some tax men With tar and with feathers General Washington headed The army again With 13,000 men While the gallows are built And it seems that my country Is feeling some guilt They say we've been pardoned Now their point has been made But you should be afraid Uh, whiskey folks and if uh, you'd like to make some other uh, comments uh, on the song before we bring in Susan uh, go ahead Matt well yeah uh, whiskey so that's about the uh, whiskey rebellion and um, I found a lot of parallels this was the uh, first test of uh, President uh, George Washington's presidency and um, I don't know I kind of wanted to bring people back in time and let them you know kind of feel what it felt like at that time to have the full force of the government and the commander-in-chief leading an army of 13,000 men to come down, you know. It's uh, kind of a heavy time, I can't even imagine, but it touched me. I wanted to write a piece, and coincidentally, one night I uh, 
I got a Google alert a couple of years back that there was a uh, songwriting competition in Ireland for protest songs, and uh, on a whim I awesome. hit send and I shot this song over and it uh, it got second place, so that was kind of cool. Wow. Yeah, and, and within that yeah, year, actually, was... I traveled. Uh, I traveled to Ireland, and I, and, and I met the uh, the guy who founded the songwriting comp- uh, competition, and had uh, lunch and a couple of drinks with him. So that was a great experience. Yeah, sounds like, it. and definitely want to talk more about uh, Ireland stuff later, and, and even off the air and after the show. I definitely want to uh, get some of the experiences and, and folks, uh, you know, about uh, some upcoming episodes. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring in. Susan, thank you very much, Susan, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm I'm fine. How are you? Good. Well, uh, hmm. uh, that was nice. I mean, uh, I I'm, I need to do a video with uh, and that. It's got the words to it, that, so I'm looking for music that is. So I use an 1812 overture to go with my a visitor from the past I'm going to do on YouTube. Um, but that's a good song. It's just when you have someone singing the words, you want to hear them. You don't want to hear someone else flabbing in the background. <laughs> so um, that's, that's cool. Appreciate that. Um, I'm going to say real quickly, Robert, that I had jury duty on Tuesday. I'm not sure about Friday I don't tomorrow, but I had to go in on Tuesday. Uh, yeah, and neither one of them liked me. I was thrown out of <laughs> the courtroom. Oh wow! <laughs> In a nice way. Susan, yeah, I have a question I for you. Did, did you try to get thrown out, or did you try to stay in? Uh, no, I did not want to be there. Um, but because yeah, I was already losing money, it was only me to do my job. And um, but I brought up jury nullification, and the prosecuting attorney he turned around he looked at me like Paul he turned back to the judge and he goes I'm okay if you dismiss her <laughs> there wasn't any <laughs> nothing <joking. laughs> there's a look of horror on his face oh trust me they don't like jury nullification um, then the defense attorney decided to question me uh, she said I want to ask something so I cited some stuff when she asked me and um I said, where are the victims? We've got the gal that was charged here, but where's the victims? And she goes, well, as far as I know, they've been subpoenaed, but, yeah, they're not here. And I go, well, you want me to ask, you know, I mean, answer these things? We haven't had the court thing. And I don't know. And she said, well, I need to know if the, uh, uh, from you, if you consider assault and battery a, uh, a crime. And she goes, oh, it depends on the circumstances. If you're protecting yourself, I wouldn't call it a battery and since we haven't gone to I'm not here in the trial you know hearing all the facts I can't tell you and the gal was accused of hitting someone with her car on purpose um, oh, wow. a woman and then she was accused of beating up a man must have been a real wimpy man <laughs> anyway because um, she didn't look like a huge you know like we're in the army now girl um, but she wasn't tiny either so she she says, I didn't think I'd have anyone this knowledgeable in the courtroom today. And I'm thinking, oh, you just called all the other dummies. <laughs> so um, she says, 
I'm happy if you dismiss her too. <laughs> so the judge kind of is laughing. You can just see her trying to choke back the laughter. She's an older lady with gray, white hair. And she says, thanks for coming. See you later. <laughs> so wow. we just pop off those words because um, I'll tell you, um, they. I read at the bottom of that paper on jury nullification that some judges in certain states or whatever have actually had activists who practiced that arrested. I was stunned. I'm like, oh, jeez, I could have been arrested. Okay, goody. <laughs> so, you know, I was stuttering about several things there that day, and uh, the gal behind the desk, she applauded me. And when I walked out, I had a whole bunch of thumbs up. So I'm sure they couldn't use that excuse because they would have had to have the knowledge of it, you know. So I'm sorry to rain on your parade. He's probably wanting to get to his music. I just had to let you know that, though. No, actually, I think I think you bring up a very valid point, but uh, it's Robert's show, so please, Robert, go ahead. No, if you want to, uh, you'd be you'd be amazed if you listen to my uh, or to the show. You'd be amazed how little that uh, I the host talk. I pretty much. It kind of a, a, a mediator ask some questions, but if you want to make it some comments on that or well, or she's your on a it, go ahead. For me. Absolutely. So no, go Susan, ahead. I, I, no, I would, this I is would, very conversational. Yeah, great. Well, I would say that jury nullification, you know, has a long-standing tradition in the I would in the United States, but it predates the United States by a long time. 1670 was the first case, and 1735 was another really famous one. And, I didn't know um, that. Oh, yeah, it goes way, way back. And what's interesting is that it wasn't until fairly recently in our history that judges started instructing people around the country that um, you have to um, accept their interpretation of the law, um, you know, including the sentencing and all the rest of this. And they, they make you, you know, agree to that as part of uh, being a juror. However, what I would argue a lot of people don't understand, unfortunately, is that jury duty is actually one of the most powerful things that a citizen has because it way outweighs the power of voting um, you know, by thousands, especially if you're on a grand jury, because all jurors in the United States, you kind of go through the moves. You have to do, you know, say yes and okay and everything, but they can't and they won't do anything to you. Um, but you have the right to, and, and I would say the duty, to determine constitutionality of a law, um, to determine the sentencing. And all it takes is one juror to say, listen, um, no, as far as I'm concerned, uh, no violations of rights you know, have been committed here, and you can, you can cause a hanged jury. Um, which right. means that the state has to go back and look at the case. So Americans did this before there was America, and it, and it was actually the core principle that founded um, the difference between the American legal system and the British legal system. So, boy, is it a powerful thing. And uh, I was in a similar situation to you. Um, dumb me, many, many years ago, I opened my mouth about jury nullification, and so I was one of the ones that was thrown out. Um, but the judge actually stopped me on the way out and said, uh, he said, uh, I know this is a little unusual to do, but I want to thank you for your knowledge of the Constitution, and I hope uh, you come back some other time as a juror, which kind of blew my mind. I was like, wow, there's, there's a good judge out there. <laughs> but cool. it's very powerful. I would recommend anybody and everybody who cares about the republic 
to definitely go look up jury nullification. Look it up. It is the most powerful thing that you've got. Yeah, Wanda Kelly, really one, of, one of our panelists here, will will definitely be interested in talking about that. Even uh, talk about the federal grand jury. Wrote a book uh, called the Ten uh, Fourth Branch. Uh, so we'll be, uh, you know, perhaps hearing more about that. Um, and I think Kelly might be on the line. If you guys don't mind me, go ahead and bring him in. Oh, wow, great. Okay, well, great. Well, Kelly, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Welcome to the show. How are you? And this is Kelly from California. And, and for the people who don't know, uh, we, we give widespread. Susan, you're from uh, Idaho, right? Because you did right. that uh, in Boise, that Boise for the Constitution Party. Uh, we did that right. live stream yeah. from the uh, the third the presidential debate. And I do have, uh, while you're uh, talking, Kelly, I do have some call screening to do. So, Kelly, as we say here on the show, the mic is yours. Go ahead. Well, hey, I like this guy. Um yeah, I gave you a heck of a segue. Nice to meet you, Kelly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I put a full-page ad in the paper for a few years, small-town paper, and people remembered that about jury nullification. Got a lot of good information from FIJO, or the Fully Informed Jury Association, and there it is in the full-page ad. Um, yeah, I, here's, a, here's a historical question for you. Uh, which of the founding fathers said this quote I consider trial by jury as the only anchor ever yet imagined by man by which a government can be held to the principles of its constitution Mm, top of my head would be either Jefferson or Madison Uh, yeah Jefferson Jefferson (laughs) Jefferson was Jefferson was no fan of the judiciary, particularly the uh, after Madison versus Marbury. You know, what was his yeah. second cousin who uh, was the head of the Supreme Court at that time, and they decided that they were going to reinterpret what the Constitution was all about. Of course, they sent him to France during that time, so that's why I guess Jefferson. <laughs> yeah, Jefferson was a little too radical for some. Um, but it's fascinating where I got that from because I saw that quote all over the internet, I couldn't find a reference. It's really the basis for my whole book, um, The Hidden Force Ranch. But um, it was a letter to Thomas Paine. There's a real, real quick, real quick, there's a lot of background noise coming from somewhere, so let's try to limit that, guys. Go ahead, Kelly. Not my side, no. Oh, those, I'm sorry. Those are the voices that are going on in my head. I have to put my tinfoil hat on to quiet them down. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of shuffling, Kelly. But go ahead, but <laughs> okay. Well, you know that tinfoil help, hat helps really well because you know when I got screws loose, it keeps them from falling out. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, all right. So uh, a, a beautiful historical document. It's just filled with zingers like that. Um, the letter that the reference was from the Thomas Jefferson Society, but it was a letter he wrote to Thomas Paine on July 2nd, 1789. Thomas Paine was some kind of diplomat to France, and um, he asked Jefferson, what do you, what's your opinion and what should the French do? Because they were in the same process of firing their king, inspired by the uh, you know, American colonials. How do you, what advice do you have for the French? And he didn't really support the French Revolution. That is a big surprise. He didn't support it because a number of reasons, uh, things that the French were not willing to embrace. 
the French were not willing to embrace trial by jury. It was Jefferson's observation, but from that letter, um, they did. They did until the 1940s when the Nazis invaded uh, France, and then they've gotten rid of their jury system since then. Um, in fact, Russia had trial by jury, so did Nazi Germany. Well, sorry. The Weimar Republic from the mid-1800s to uh, 1924 had uh, trial by jury, but the Weimar Republic government said, oh, we don't need this anymore, and then within 20 years, 20 million people were murdered. Stalin took over in 1917, within 20 years, 20 million people were murdered. So that's it's really a nice key feature if you want to prevent uh, genocide. Um, I, anyway. I, you're, I'd say you're 100% right. I mean, uh, you know, jury nullification, the power of jury duty and the Second Amendment are really the teeth of uh, the rest of the Bill of Rights. And not to disagree with you, but I would add that uh, one of the reasons that Jefferson, I think, did not support uh, the French during the French Revolution, although having lived there for quite some time, um, was because of the incredible amounts of violence. It just blew everyone's mind, anyone who knew the kind of violence in the French Revolution. It wasn't as subdued and orderly, you know, as uh, they thought our own American Revolution was in, in, in comparison. No, it was, yeah, the Reign of Terror is what it was called. But, again, so, not um, to disagree with you, but just to add that. Who said it's not mm-hmm. only the jurors' well, well, anyway, what, what I'm trying to say is, let me finish the point, please, because I just I'm I don't want to. Okay, and then we're close go to ahead and finish, and we'll bring in uh, her back in. Go ahead. And then we have, real, real quick, folks, and we have uh, our good friend Joseph from New York on the line. Uh, we will get uh, you in as well, Joseph. Uh, go ahead, Kelly. Um, that letter to Thomas Paine, July 2nd, 1789, is absolutely stunning. What Einstein was to physics, Thomas Jefferson was to liberty. Absolutely stunning that letter was. I'd like to get in contact with you after the show, Kelly, and um, kind of put our heads together in terms of uh, uh, jury nullification. I know that you wrote a book on it. I'd like more information about that and, uh, you know, kind of pick your brain a little bit because I know how important it is, but my knowledge of uh, the specifics in history are, are not as detailed as yours, and maybe you can share some of that with me off air. Oh, sure. I'd be glad to. Yeah, Robert, go ahead and give her information. And if you want to pick my brain, I'll ask you to the tinfoil hat. Yeah, certainly. I'll make sure I get the the information, uh, your phone number, I'll email it to them. And now, Susan, you had a uh, a, a question or comment, and then we'll uh, bring in Joseph. And uh, then we'll move uh, on from there. I know we've got some uh, other callers uh, as well. So when you'd like to chime in, uh, just push the one on your number dial. Uh, but if you're also out there and you want to call in, give us a call at 347-945-7428. Go ahead, Susan. Uh, John Adams said, it's not only the juror's right, but his duty in the case to find the verdict according to his own best understanding, judgment, and conscience go in direct opposition to the direction of the court and in 1980 Shefflin and Jan- John Van Dyke wrote during nullification the contours of a controversy this is the arguments for opposing nullification instruction are efficient because they fail to weigh political advantage gained by not lying to the jury what impact will this deception have on jurors who felt coerced into their verdict by the judge's instructions and who learned after the trial they could have voted their conscience and acquitted. 
Such a juror is less apt to respect the legal system. Wow, powerful. Yeah. So Thomas Jefferson, I mean, that was uh, John Adams. So, and he was, I don't know if he was the president at the time. Yeah, it says the second president. He was 1771, so probably so I. But anyway, they, you know, just reaction from that prosecutor, I'll tell you what, I could tell right then and there. He kind of knew what it was. I don't know how much he knew, but he did not want me saying I was going to vote my conscience. I pretty much said I will be doing according to what I do in interpreting yours, so I will be thinking the way I want to think. Well, I'm sure that everyone on air knows this, so I don't mean to condescend anyone here, but unfortunately a lot of folks in the U.S. today don't understand that the Constitution was originally set up to, um, you know, government's one and only job is to protect individual liberty. And the Constitution, its purpose is, is not to limit our rights, but to limit the powers of the federal government. So it stands to reason that all of the Founding Fathers, you know, if not to a T, 99% of them understood that it was all set up in order to protect us from tyranny. So even, you know, John Adams, of course, as an attorney, um, was not very well liked in the very beginning when he was sent to uh, the First Continental Congress because he was the attorney who represented the British soldiers during the Boston um, Massacre. However, he argued, um, you know, very, very well. So he was he was accepted as being um, neutral and and you know standing on on great legal footing. So another genius, you know, who who wasn't fighting for the rights of trial lawyers, but rather for us. Do, do you know what John Adams concluded about the Boston massacre? Nine nine, nine soldiers uh, killed five colonials. And the two commanders, Lone's name was Kilroy, Matthew Kilroy, two of them got the death sentence. Uh, but the seven other soldiers under them were acquitted. John Adams said this about the jury. He said it was a dirty business, but the jury got it exactly right. Isn't that something that Adams? Oh, go ahead, Kelly. It's just stunning the way he, he said that. Dirty business, but the jury got it exactly right. Wow. You know, a lot, a lot of people don't know. I know this is a little side note just to throw in here, but it's kind of relevant um, good for anybody because I know probably all of you know the answer to this one, so whoever gets to it first. You remember uh, who was the very first person that was killed in the American War for Independence in the Boston Massacre? Anyone? Actually, that's oh, in the box. Wow, I feel like an idiot. Christmas. <laughs> I would say Kelly probably knows that more than it was Christmas Adams. It was a black man. Oh, a free black man. Wow, that's it. You do learn something new every day. I did not honestly knew that. I knew there were black people that had fought in the war, yes, but I didn't know that. Huh. I did not know that. Interesting. And let's go ahead and uh, real quick, um, since we're doing quotes, just one of the, my favorite quotes, and we're going to bring in uh, Joseph. And and I got this actually some years ago when I when I first started the show about four years ago. It was for Father's Day, 
And it was uh, on this, I guess, one of those cozies, a drink cozy my daughter got me. At the time, she was 10. This is from George William Curtis. And it says, a man's country is not a certain area of land, of mountains, rivers, and woods, but it is a principle. And patriotism is loyalty to that principle. And, you know, I see now it's like what we were, you know, working towards and everything like that. And I had a lot of folks who were upset with us because we weren't falling in line with, uh, at that point, the Republican Party and and who their nomination was because we started talking a lot about people from the Constitution Party. Uh, which uh, angered a lot of people, a lot of the supporters. Uh, but I'm like, look, you know, by principle, I, I just felt like I couldn't, uh, you know, go down that road uh, with Mitt Romney. And uh, But anyway, but let's go ahead and bring in Joe, because uh, Joe is patiently waiting for us. So it's uh, very good uh, to hear back from you, Joe. Uh, thank you very much for – well, where's the uh, – well, we had Joe. I don't know what happened. Get ready to bring him in. I guess he got disconnected. And so we uh, will wait for him to uh, call back in. Uh, But before then, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, look for – oh, I'm not even – where did it go? Actually, let's uh, just look at something up here. And so while we wait for Joe, we're going to go ahead and hear from our friends at the Patriot Journalist Network. And – Oh, no, this ain't good. My audios aren't working. <laughs> so that's not good. Let's see here real quick, folks. I apologize for that. There it is. Jeez, I don't know what's going on. That's, that's not good because we uh, have a couple more of uh, the songs I want to hear uh, from Matt. Yeah. And here's the Patriot Journalist Network. You're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at PatriotJournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. And definitely check out the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www. PatriotJournalist.com, and uh, hopefully Joseph, if you were uh, still out there, uh, that you'll just uh, give us a call back and just push the one on the number dial, and we will uh, get in. So let's go ahead and since we got the audience here, let's go ahead and uh, get ready to load up uh, another one of the songs here by Matt. And uh, one of the ones uh, you sent to me, and let's hear more about. It's called "The Rain Is Coming." Not not winter is coming for all you uh, Game of Thrones, including myself. Uh, fans out there, uh, but it, the rain is coming. Uh, tell us more about that, Matt. I, um, I, you know, th- this was on my third CD called Entitled, um, and uh, anybody can, you know, go check out the cover over at PatriotMusic.com. But I've got a um, uh, an acrylic painting <laughs> of um, a donkey and an elephant that have just beaten the heck out of um, their victim, <laughs> Uncle Sam, and they're walking away with all the money and loot and everything that they robbed from him. <laughs> And, uh, you know, so the cover is pretty obvious, but there's some symbolism there. <laughs> but I wanted to write a song that was, you know, pregnant with illusion, essentially, something that um, would work on standard radio stations around the country, but at the same time, those who understood would understand. So, 
you know, for those of you who don't catch the lyrics, and just a little reminder, you know, blog talk radio is um, monophonic, meaning um, all the time and effort and every blood, sweat, and tears that we put into the mixing, you know, to make these songs sound great, you're you're hearing like 1% of it. So, but there is a video for yeah. it over on uh, YouTube as well. But uh, anyway, yeah, listen to the lyrics yourself, figure it out, you know, wh- whatever it means to you is uh, what it means. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I wish the audio quality be uh, better some songs for off here, but uh, unfortunately, it's the platform I'm on at this point. Uh, but, you know, let's see what the future holds. And let's go ahead and hear The Rain is Coming. Seems like a thousand years Since we had real fears But the old ones won't forget These broken levee walls Had a few close calls But they haven't fallen yet And you know the rain's coming The rain's coming All your days and all your nights It brings a storm on you sun beats down and it bakes the ground and you watch the rich land die such a vicious drought even hopes in doubt but there are no clouds in the sky but you know the rain When you feel the first drop fall, when it kisses your skin, the storm will begin to bring with it promise of change. When you And I think, uh, you know, listening to the uh, song online, uh, other through, you know, the, the call in line may sound better. 
uh, as well. Uh, but let's go ahead and he- uh, hear more about uh, that song. Uh, Kelly sent me a message, and he will be back with us. And so, uh, Kelly, just uh, either yell and chime in or just give uh, me a text, and uh, we'll get you back onto the show. Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, he- hear some more about The Rain is Coming. Well, you know, the idea was essentially just to write something that expressed the feeling in the country, and I felt that it would uh, hold fast for some time. And, uh, I mean, that's really it. I'm, I'm, you know, I've written over, I don't know, um, over 100 songs, and they're probably, I guess, 55, 60 or something, you know, available to the public. So um, different songs are written in different ways and at different times and different thoughts and I don't I don't really know what to say. It's not that I, you know, think something less of that song in particular because it's gotten a lot of traction and everything um but uh it was one of those rare pieces where I'm not overt and in your face and saying it, <laughs> you know. So uh, <laughs> you know and it's uh and, and and just as a side note, just so you know for the record Robert, um I do a BTR show every once in a while to keep myself fresh. And, um, so oh, yeah, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, no. So I didn't, you know, but I'm not, I'm not trying to promote it either, but I, I didn't mean that as any kind of a, you we know, any that. kind of a shot to you about the audio, <laughs> audio quality. I'm just reminding oh, people. Oh no, that, no, I didn't take that. Know, it's not my platform. It's just the one I'm on. <laughs> it, I hear you. Exactly. No, I, I, I know the drill. I know the drill. I mean, the hardest thing is doing AM shows, you know what I mean? <laughs> because, because, you know, people expect something that just can't be there. When it comes to uh, you know full stereo, you spend all this time and money and everything mixing a piece, and then it gets squeezed down to mono. And but that's okay. It's kind mm-hmm. of what MP3s are anyway these days. You know, heck, there's a resurgence in people buying LPs. They're going back to vinyl for that exact reason. I guess the old. Oh folks, my gosh! You know, like me. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because I mean, I noticed that you know I've uh, we had uh, we could look back in the archives and and I listened to uh, her music through. Um, you know, computer, my phone, my radio, my you know, car radio, my wife's car radio, and it just it sounds different in each one of them. Because uh, we had uh, she's an award-winning uh, songwriter, singer. She did a lot of work with like video games, and that's Aubrey Ashburn. Uh, I'd like to have her back on too, but uh, I'd be able to get her back on. I mean, it's been years, probably been about four years. Uh, I'll be four years, I guess, it's August that we had her on. Um, and, so, and actually, the closing music. Uh, that you'll hear tonight, uh, and if you're still <laughs> with us, Matt, you'll still, uh, is actually a, a song from her uh, from a video game, Dragon Age. Uh, so I just thought one day, you know what, it'd be pretty cool to get her on the show, so I hear her singing during this video game I play. I thought, you know, fortune favors the bold, uh, so I just sent her uh, sent a message out to her, and, well, she, she came up to the show, so it's pretty cool uh, that is to pretty have cool. her on. Yeah, it had nothing to do with politics, but... Uh, but it was still it was very cool to have her on. Uh, cause now and now every time I want you to play a game or listen to music, I'm like, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, and an uh, opportunity to have a conversation with her. Um, well, you know, to, to your point, other um, to your point, you know, when Sure Sound Studios does these mixes and everything, you know, there's a whole boatload of different kinds of speakers there, and I typically will get a high quality WAV file, and what I'll do is I'll listen to it in every possible configuration from, you know, different car vehicles. Um, some studios actually have car speakers set up there, um, and I'll listen to it on low-quality headphones, high-quality headphones, my Bose system, 
you know, some kind of crappy radio, and that's the only way to be able to tell whether or not the mix is good if it pokes through, and, you know, every instrument's got, like, its own little envelope in the EQ spectrum, and uh, that's what we do. You know, you listen to the stuff across all these platforms and, and try to get it to convey the essence you know, independent of the quality of the uh, of the of the technical equipment, you know. Yeah, certainly. One of one of the things I was just doing here, uh, multitasking, is Joseph uh, just sent me a message on Facebook. Now he was uh, kind of an intermittent, uh, you know, caller. Uh, he's really into politics. Has worked for a couple campaigns. So a couple things. Um, he can, he was able to talk about some things he weren't. He's going to talk more about uh, things with the uh, one of the campaigns. I can't. I don't know how much liberty I have to say, um, but he had to he had to go. That's why uh, Joseph had to go. But hopefully we'll hear uh, from him in, in the next couple of weeks. And when I get some some time, I'll send him a message back. But I guess we're going to get uh, some update or maybe even some behind the scenes information if that was possible on some uh, the, of the campaign here in the election. That's what. Uh, he was perhaps calling in for, but uh, perhaps uh, will later, or perhaps not. We'll see. But uh, that was uh, Joseph, uh, the, the gentleman from New York. And so, so what uh, state are you in, Robert? I'm in Ohio. Ohio. Okay, there you go. Yes. Oh, yeah, we've got uh, – and then uh, Cindy. Uh, we've got Cindy on the line. Uh, she's uh, Florida. And then uh, – you know what? We've got uh, John on, and I don't I don't know if he even divulged with us where John's at. And we've got other folks on the line who I haven't had a chance to, to, to speak with yet in call screening, but that's okay. Uh, but just go ahead and give us a call at 347-945-7428. Those who are on the line, just give us a uh, push to one on your number dial, and uh, we'll get uh, get back in. Now, I know uh, it's just, you, you, we mentioned earlier in the show, and you guys are pretty much nonpartisan, so we don't have to really answer this, uh, you know, you don't really have to answer to this. But one of the things, you know, of course, as you know, we talk about a lot here on politics. And so why is it so difficult this year uh, to kind of stay out of it? Well, you know, when I started this whole project back in 2005, one of my lines, um, and it's been since hijacked by, you know, lots of uh, professional politicians, but – even back then, I said America's more divided now than we have been since our Civil War. And I just, you know, I just read this morning that a Pew poll came out that the um, unfavorable attitude of Republicans towards Democrats and Democrats towards Republicans is at an all-time high from, you know, whatever the 30 years that they've been taking this survey. And it's of no surprise, you know, to any of us who have been watching all of this. But um, the point is that there's so much divisiveness. And the way that I look at it is this. The principles in the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, for example, these are simple, really simple, timeless principles. It's a cohesive, complete system that um, that doesn't enable someone who's thinking and 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 reads these things fairly regularly and thinks about them from, you know, the perspective of uh, the golden rule, right, do unto others, um, to become a hypocrite. It's not so easy to do that. And yet so many people do. And, of course, I've been guilty of it as well. You know, I mean, the inclination is uh, you see a problem, you want to make a law. I mean, look at the, you know, Democrats squatting on the uh, – you know, the floor tonight, um, you know, talking about gun control. And, it would, mm-hmm. you, know, th- you know, this guy was a, uh, 
he was a contractor for Homeland Security and passed marksmanship tests. So, you know, it's a pointless exercise. I'm in Connecticut where, you know, Sandy Hook occurred, the Sandy Hook shooting occurred, you know, just a couple of miles from me. And um, I had to give up some of my favorite weapons after the Connecticut legislature bypassed um, the regular way of doing things and did this through what are called emergency measures, according to the Connecticut Constitution. Mm -hmm. However, they broke the law on so many different levels with that because the um, emergency measures, according to the Connecticut state constitution, requires a period, a quorum, 60 days, I believe, with the public to explain why you're doing it through emergency measures. But, of course, they didn't care. They just passed it. And it turns out that um, I want to get the name of this organization correct, um, and I may not, the, the, uh, the uh, Connecticut Sportsmen's um, um, Society or something like this, they put up lawsuits, they did some research and discovered that um, the, the, the Assembly in Connecticut has been using these emergency measures for the last 20 years. So they've been ignoring it, meaning there's like thousands of laws uh, that they did the same way, just blatantly breaking the Constitution to pass this stuff. So I had to give up some of my favorite weapons um, at the time until I move out of the state. You know, in the future, I'll get them back. But, uh, but the point is that um, I concentrate on the essence of what America's founding principles are, okay? The Bill of Rights, in particular, the Declaration of Independence. And I leave it to experts like yourself and, um, and others to handle the, you know, the political in-the-trenches fighting of the day-to-day -day sort of a thing. Because... I don't believe that pulling a lever, I've said this, I think this is the third time tonight, but, um, and so I apologize if I'm repeating myself, but yeah, I, I don't think that, that pulling, pulling a lever is as effective as all of the other things that people can do to grab their liberty, to secure it. You know, I mean, once government takes something, it's very, very hard to get it back. But yet America has a great tradition of this. And even during our Revolutionary War, you know, there was like one-third, only one-third that were on the side. And that was probably after, mm -hmm. you know, the Battle of Trenton, you know, when Washington uh, crossed the Delaware. Um, and... Um, you know, there was one third that was fence sitters and the other ones were Tories that supported the crown. And there's so many things that people can do that don't involve this red versus blue stuff. I'm just more interested in history and reason than I am uh, publicly, I should say. I mean, if, you know, if you and I were sitting at a bar somewhere, oh, yeah, you'd hear me vent. But publicly, what I don't want to do is make the mistake of um, – using a keyword and isolating someone who, for example, might be on the left or might be on the right, and um, here's one of these flag terms, and it just shuts them down from the rest of the conversation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when Which I'm unfortunately asking, happens a lot. <laughs> it does. And, and, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people vote a certain way because their families were that way. You go and ask them, well, why? Why do you support this party, for example? You know, I mean, ask, um, you know, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with um, inner city blacks, for example, that come on my show and other people I've done shows with and things like this. And ask a question, you know, like, you know, okay, so why do you, you know, vote Democrat? And they'll say, because I'm black. And, um, you know, that's the sort of answer that um, doesn't do anyone any good. And, and I'll ask other people, for example, why do you, 
you know, support the U.S. Constitution, they'll say, well, you know, because, you know, my uncle died uh, fighting for America or something. And, I, and, I, and I'll say blatantly, I'll say, well, that's not a good enough reason. You know what I mean? All over the, all over the world, people have have fought and done horrible things to other human beings because, you know, they got into this pattern of, um, what was the famous Southern, um, famous Southern, uh, what was it, the Hatfields and the McCoys? Is that right? Mm -hmm. There were these other, you know, sorts of things. And it's just, it's a pattern. And my interest is in getting people to think because the Bill of Rights and the Declaration take, you know, for your average reader, maybe an hour, two hours to read. And um, and I'll, I'll never forget the first time I read it, I just sat back with like my jaw dropped to the floor, and I was like, "My God, how could I have gone this long in my life without reading this stuff?" And and that's kind of my goal. Because well, the schools it's, don't teach it like that anymore, for one. <laughs> and that you're right, absolutely. I mean, look, why would you have a whole bunch of government employees who are members of unions, for example? And you know, why would we expect these these people to teach? individualism it's it's you know it just goes hand in hand that they would be pushing for more and more government because they're members of all these government organizations and programs so mm -hmm. it's up to the parents which is why i'm saying it comes down to family friends you know spouses um starting there uh, you know reading this stuff for yourself and um, obviously you have and all your callers have i mean gosh a couple of minutes ago all the stuff that we got into that was phenomenal all these quotes and everything, I, I could do that 24-7. I love that stuff. Yeah, if we could have got Christine Timmons on. Now, she, she's a, an overpowering uh, <laughs> uh, personality. I tell you what, there's times I'm, I have to like, Christina, Christina, stop. I mean, I love her to death. I really do. Uh, but I tell you what, she'll call me, and she'll leave like four five, and it's like three, four times in a row, and she'll leave like three, four-minute voicemails. On my on my phone, and I'm like, <laughs> and she'll like, it'll be day. back to back. It's like, it's like three, yeah, it's like three voicemails in a row that are like, you know, four minutes long, and I'm like, wow, you <laughs> know, like there's something, I mean, but you know, but boy, if you just if, if she disagrees with you about appointing the Constitution, now she's like people who could quote a Bible, you know, verse and chapter or whatever things of that nature, she could quote the the Constitution like that. It's, it's amazing. Uh, you know what she could do there, but um, you know. But anyway, but you know, with with being you know tough, of course, yeah. This kind of you know, you know my thing. Uh, you know, talk with politics and being involved in following politics. Probably since I was ten years old. Um, and, and you and I aren't that close and are aren't that far away, I should say, uh, in age. <laughs> so I've been involved for quite some time. And I was actually you know a Republican for the most part up until 2012. Now I'm you know, independent, but I'm actually a registered Green. Uh, party member, because uh, I do consider myself with, you know, was dubbed not by me, but by Gingrich, uh, a green conservative. And, and I'm glad you brought up the point whether red, you know, red or blue or what have you, and, and Gingrich, that's one of the reasons why I supported Gingrich and, and folks out there, since we are also uh, promoting our uh, petition we have for uh, Gingrich to be Donald Trump's vice president, uh, if you're out there uh, either live now or on the podcast, uh, you'll see the link uh, to the petition there uh, that we're going to be sending uh, to Donald Trump uh, and kind of, you know, showing our support uh, for Gingrich as his uh, vice presidential pick 
so you can see it there, uh, the link there on Blog Talk Radio. As well as if you'd like to follow the show, you can push the follow button uh, there, and as well as check out uh, the website, uh, not for Blog Talk Radio, but for Bard's Logic at www.bardslogic.com. And so, yeah, there we go. I gave a, it's a little plug, but uh, to my point, is that, you know, that's one of the things that Gingrich talks about, and I've got audio clips maybe to play at some point, uh, where he says, look, you know, that's one of the problems that happened with environmentalism, the environmental movement. It was, it was taken over by the left, and so now when anyone mentions anything about doing anything that's, you know, positive for the environment, right away you have conservatives, you know, clamming up like, oh, we can't do that. There's, there's got to be something leftist about doing that because the environmental movement was hijacked, in my uh, opinion, uh, and that's kind of the terms I use, uh, has been hijacked by the, the liberals. So, you know, well, so I, mean, I see where I, you, know, you, you have subjects that can be – that can appeal to both uh, people on the right and the left. Go ahead. Well, I mean, for example, look at Teddy Roosevelt, okay? Um, you know, he um, um, was a sickly young boy whose mother was overly protective and, uh, you know, he was a wimp by his own definition and uh, – later became, you know, a man's man. You know what I mean? The guy went blind boxing on the lawn of the White House while he was president, you know, because he brought in somebody who was actually tough enough for him to fight. You know, the Rough Riders and all the rest of the, you know, he shot every large game animal in uh, the American continent and then proceeded to go to Africa later. You know, he was a tough, tough, tough guy. And um, he was the one who established the, uh, the first national parks. So a lot of people today in the Green Movement don't understand that it's hunters who really have an understanding of the environment because they're in it. They're living it. You know, it's not someone who grew up in Manhattan who, you know, freaks out at the sight of raw meat. You know, it's people who are actually really in touch. And I I would argue, I know this is a little heady, but um, I would argue that, uh, you know, go back to the – to the Bill of Rights, and, you know, we weren't going to have one originally, but, uh, you know, when the Federalist Papers were written by Hamilton, Jay, and, um, oh, escaping me, it's not, it wasn't Adams, who was the other, um, uh, tip my tongue. Anyway, the point is that the, um, the statists, you know, those who argued for a larger federal government were uh, led by Alexander Hamilton, who, of course, started the first, uh, you know, national bank system. But the anti-federalists um, were led by Patrick Henry because Thomas Jefferson was sent off to uh, to, to, to France to get to get rid of him, essentially. And um, the vast majority of those who identified um, with the Democratic Republican Party, which later became the GOP, um, were farmers by and large. And the statists were those who lived in cities. So we can see the parallel today. Look at the difference, for example, mm-hmm. in environmentalism between hunters and, um, you know, the anthropomorphic global warming crew. It's the folks that are out there in the woods all the time who are connected with it. You know what I mean? The people who have no problem cutting the head off a chicken for dinner that get it. It's the ones that are, you know, studying in universities and reading all this carbon data and everything that don't. And I see parallels going back. Actually, I'd like to see a new anti-federalist movement, meaning the movement that got us the Bill of Rights, because they basically said, look, we'll ratify this thing you're calling the Constitution as long as we have a Bill of Rights where it's locked down and the government can't impede on these things. So I see a parallel when it comes to environmentalism in that as well. Nobody gets nature like 
farmers and hunters. Yeah, and uh, you know, people you do you know hiking and things of that nature. And I find it interesting. And uh, speaking of that, maybe we'll, we'll we'll slide over to this topic. You know, with the Constitution, Second Amendment, things of that nature. As I heard, I think it was on Facebook. I seen the other day. Uh, it says the you know, it says uh, the Second Amendment is not about hunting. It's about protecting us from our government or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. You know, because they keep talking about you know, oh well. You know, the hunters and, you know, we're not, uh, you know, we're here to get a lot of slack from, you know, the hunters. And we're not trying to take your rifles away so that you can hunt. And it's not about, it's like, well, yeah, well, that's not what the Second Amendment's for either. <laughs> it's not about, the Second Amendment is not about hunting and, you know, and, and having a rifle so that you can hunt. Well, I, mean, actually, I don't um, hunt because, you know, I don't believe in it. But, uh, you know, if, I'm, if, if I, you know, I hunt for food. You know, sure, but I mean, people hunt for game. I I don't support that. Um, now, if you're gonna, you know, go out and kill a deer and then you're gonna eat it, and then if you're gonna use the skins or the antlers or something, use it. But I, I'm not. I, I don't support game hunting. Well, um, you know, um, some years ago, um, I was working with an organization by the name of Keep and Bear Arms, and had a chance to go to libraries um, and took photographs and scans of the original uh, dictionaries that the founders were using at the time that the Second Amendment was written on the various, at the various state level for uh, their constitutions and bills of rights before we had a national bill of rights. And I put together, it took me many, many months to do this, um, if you don't mind the, you know, the self-gratuitous plug, um, but over nope, at Patreon. I never mind that. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, well, it's to your point. For anybody who's interested, and that's really, you know, my job is to entertain and hopefully educate and inspire, and that's really what I want to do. But uh, if you, you know, go to Google and type in History of the Second Amendment and then Patriot Music, um, I put up an article many, many years ago where I go back uh, to the beginning of time, beginning with uh, 248 BC by Plato. Um, and, you know, culminating to uh, the U.S. Bill of Rights, uh, documenting all of these references, including biblical passages, um, explaining the importance of the right to bear arms. So this is an ancient concept that is as old as our species is. So the idea of the Second Amendment being for hunting is absolutely ridiculous. And the idea of the militia being... The National Guard, you know, fortunately, it was recently struck down by the Supreme Court, but, you know, it was a frivolous argument from the beginning because the militia is the potential uh, citizenry who would step up to the plate when needed. It doesn't have to be one that is currently organized. It's one that, that becomes organized and well-regulated as needed. And, you know, there are lots of historical explanations and reasons for it, and it makes perfect sense. And I just put it together in a whole series of quotations. And, you know, like I always tell everybody, don't believe me about anything. Just go to the source. You know, same thing. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're on, yeah. Yeah, don't you're on Facebook. Or, <laughs> yeah, you're on Facebook or Google Plus or something. Somebody puts up something that looks sensational. Um, sure, you know, maybe maybe you could hit the like button, but I would highly suggest that before you hit the share button, do your due diligence and go to the source and do the research and learn how to get the info and find out. And if it's bogus but the person's heart was in the right place, then, you know, politely tell them, hey, you know, this is wrong, send them a link. But don't just pass it on and don't believe anybody, you know, do the work. And the thing that 
really, really enabled the incredible success of our republic was the fact that we had roughly a 94% literacy rate in the country at the time of the revolution. It was the highest in the history of mankind anywhere. And this is one of the problems, and we have since lost it. And I just try to encourage people, go back to the source when it comes to any of these things. Do your own research. And, you know, again, the founding mm -hmm. documents printed out takes, you know, 90 minutes, two hours or something to read. Do it over the stretch of a week, and it's amazing. You read it, and you're like, wow, wow, this is smart stuff. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, we've all said that on the show. Do, do, do your research. Mm -hmm. What's that? I said, yeah, we've always said that on on the show, and you know, and on the website uh, where we have uh, our Bloomberg TV. You know, that's one of the things uh, we promote. Hey, you know, do your do your own, uh, don't take our word word for it. Do your own research, and and know because there's so much false stuff out there. And, and, and as kind of a side note, is I was talking to a uh, friend the other day, and it was like, and we were talking about uh, campaign commercials where you could put anything. In a campaign commercial, and it doesn't have to be true. It could be total fabrication, and there's no law, there's no liable, there's no slander, nothing that you could put in there. Like you know, sure we have a law, and, and I'm not trying to say big government, but you would think there'd be something to say. Look, we do have liable laws, we have slander laws, but in a political commercial, you can put whatever you want. You should have it where you know those laws are applicable when it comes to a political ad. Right. Look, I agree with you 100%. And I would add something, though, that um, for everybody out there who's got a Facebook or Google you know, Plus account or whatever it is, any of these social networking things, when you do your due diligence and you establish a record of fact-checking before you publish, what it does is it gives you a good reputation. So when you do find or create something sensational, people tend to listen. They don't see it as like, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, well, they shared it because of emotional reasons. I mean, you know, we've, we've got far too many emotional people in this country who vote rather than think. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's good well, advice. Logic. Actually, that's part of the reason for the name of the show, guys. There you go. Exactly. And that's one of the reasons why I would highly recommend, I guess, what you do all the time, which is do your due diligence, establish, establish your reputation, and then hopefully, you know, um, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason, you know. But when you do speak up, folks will hopefully listen, and they'll go back and do, do their due diligence. And the truth always finds a way of poking through all the white noise. And um, I really believe that. But, uh, you know, I'm a deeply spiritual person as well, and uh, I see a lot of this in terms of uh, providence like our founding fathers did too. And, you know, we get the government we deserve. So uh, truth will, you know, eventually find its way, but it requires individuals because it's not, you know, um, Hillary versus Donald. You know what I mean? I mean, it really comes down to what do your kids know and uh, what are you doing on a town level? Did you, you know, did you go to the local, you know, um, budget vote, for example? Uh, you know, are you familiar with what's going on with the PTA? Um, you know, who's your representative? Are you making sure, for example, that – the uh, the polling places in your state uh, that there isn't widespread fraud, uh, you know, particularly mm -hmm. with the electronic machines. I mean, jury nullification. There's I could go on and on and on, but I'm saying it starts with you, not with that lever. And too many people, in my opinion, are like you know giants versus jets or something. And you can tell I'm from the East Coast and I'm not a football guy, but my point is red versus blue is <laughs> uh -oh. the same crap. I mean, you know? it really means nothing, but there's so much power that we have.
that has been drilled into us for years and years and years that we don't have it. But we do. There's so much we can do. And that's one of the reasons why I support a multi, you know, multi-party system, uh, different kind of voting system, which maybe we'll talk uh, later on tonight. Definitely want to have more shows on it. Uh, in the not-too-distant future, you know, probably after November, I'd like to talk more about it, um, but maybe a little bit before then. And go ahead, Susan, then we have Cindy on the line you'd like to chime in. Uh, but go ahead, Susan, then we'll bring uh, Cindy in. Okay, well, I'm a football gal, but, you know. <laughs> um, you can school me on uh, that then. Yeah, I can. I can, especially the Seahawks. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Robert knows about that. <laughs> um, no, it's, uh, Senator Rich is from the state of Idaho, and <clears throat> my friend, our client, Priscilla, you both, um, she called him. Because she didn't like his statement on guns, uh, and she said, "You know, I need to tell you, Second Amendment is not about hunting." Because apparently, he said that um, he supports it because he wants to hunt. And <laughs> I was just like, "I do not care why he's supporting it, whether it's wrong or right, as long as he's supporting and voting in favor of us having guns." Not that I have one, but. Uh, you know, right or wrong, I'm glad he's supporting it. Him and Crapo both, because Crapo has a picture <clears throat> of him holding a gun, you know, in hunting gear and stuff. So, you know, I really don't care why, as long as they do. I'm paraphrasing, but the quote is uh, something like, a man with a gun is a citizen and uh, one without one is a subject. And frankly, I think that the the advocates of gun control totally understand this position, and that's what they want. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, we essentially already have an aristocracy, and we have two political parties that uh, do very little for us, um, you know, enriching themselves. I mean, you've got massive corporations, for example, Google included, that pay almost nothing in taxes because they can afford to have armies of attorneys accountants and tax lawyers who can figure out, you know, a tax code that's 20 times the size of the Bible. And, uh, you know, the rest of us are <laughs> stuck, stuck with H&R Block. And, uh, you know, you're lucky if you get your gas mileage right off if you're a small businessman. And don't even get me started on the idea of having a lawn company or something like that, where if you, God forbid, you try to hire Americans, you're going to be wiped out because everyone else, your com- competition is going to hire illegals. Mm-hmm. You know, who don't have to, uh, you know, um, their employers aren't paying for Obamacare tax and they don't have workman's compensation. I mean, yeah, it just goes on and on and on and on. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for letting me vent there for a second. <laughs> oh, no, oh, God, no, certainly, certainly. And uh, speaking of venting, no, I'm just kidding, Cindy. Let's go ahead and uh, bring Cindy in. Thank you very much, Cindy. And Cindy's uh, from Florida uh, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Well, I'm pretty good. Um, uh, Thanks to our guests for coming on. Good to hear from you. Nice to meet you, Cindy. And I've been really enjoying all of your um, analysis. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I, I wanted to bring something else up tonight that um, uh, it always seems to be my job to bring out the conspiracies. <laughs> so I guess I'll 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 dump on the compare I'll dump the conspiracies in your lap tonight. 
I guess, you know, some of you who are all on the web all the time, you've probably come across this about the BLM activist tweet um, about inciting the riots. Have you all seen that? Well, yeah, you mean uh, George, uh, George conventions? Are you talking about the George Soros funded uh, activists? Well, oh, yeah, they are alleged, are. I should say. Pardon me. Well, yeah, the Black Lives Matter. We know that that is George Soros act, uh, activist. Oh, yeah. But there was a apparently um, uh, Tespo um, tweeted something very nasty, and also, um, uh, what's this guy's name? Um, uh, DeRay McKesson. I think y'all have heard of DeRay McKesson. Um, they're both part of the Black Lives Matter guys. Anyway, the one Oh, yeah, that these I, are the guys that are uh, uh, publicly inciting violence that the Justice yeah. Department won't go after, right? Yes. See, it's a, uh, well, first of all, the, the Tef Poe guy, the rapper guy, um, he wrote, Dear white people, if, and this is no, not even unfiltered, this is totally not even, this is public, okay? It says, Dear white people, if Trump wins, young niggas such as myself are fully hell-bent on inciting riots everywhere we go, just so you know. Okay, first of all, I guess they're the only ones that can call each other niggas, because we certainly wouldn't get away with that. But um, no. second of all, second of all, they are uh, in the same vein as the Black Panthers sitting in front of the polls and trying to get, intimidate people into not going into the polling place. Um, this is kind of what's going on on the Internet um, on, on uh, Twitter, I think they're trying to scare people into not voting for Trump, and uh, I just pray that people know better and will not um, be uh, subject to that um, influence. Now, the other thing was the one that was hacked. Um, this guy, DeRay McKess, was hacked in a private conversation between Johnetta um, Elvey and himself. And I wanted to just read part of the conversation that was hacked. Um, have you spoken with, first of all, um, I think it's Johnetta that says to him, and I think he calls her Netta, have you spoken with Mrs. Lynch, meaning Loretta Lynch, have you spoken with Mrs. Lynch recently about the plan for the summer and fall leading up to the election? And then he answers her, we spoke two weeks ago and they want us to start really pushing how racist Trump is now, in, uh, now instead of waiting so the others can start getting the protesters ready to shut down both conventions. We have to make sure that we use our voices to keep people disrupting Trump all summer and through the fall so martial law can be declared. Um, hang on. And then uh, I can't get the rest of that because of the, the screenshot gets broken up. And then it says, um, for messing over Bernie. They were mad about 
people messing over Bernie and for having racist Trump. Then get and Marshall Kelly's got Law some declared. reports to that when he gets back on. Okay, then get Marshall Law declared. Then get Marshall Law declared so Obama can stay in office. We will win. Call you soon when I get to my dad so I can use his landline and we can talk more on this issue. Obviously, um, you know, he thought that he, he, you know, he used, uh, you know, two-factor, two-factor security measures. So it wasn't really uh, easy for people to get this. So whoever uh, tapped into his account kind of knew what they were doing, maybe even someone that he knows that's like uh, a mole or something. But anyway, um, I thought it was interesting. The, the conversation later turned to um, him explaining to her that he was hacked and that their conversation was found out. And He's talking about how he, what kind of security measures he had been taking, and they got in anyway. I mean, it's it's a long, you know, article here. It's um, it's got it got published in Truth Broadcast Network on the on the web, and I don't know where else, but I'm sure you can probably find it somewhere else. Anyway, I, I thought this was. Uh, extremely interesting because, you know, we've been saying all along, uh, for a long time, ever since Obama got reelected, we've been saying that we we thought that he would not allow uh, an election in 2016, that he would create some kind of a uh, disaster so that he would have to you know, declare martial law and say, well, we can't, it would be too unsafe. There's too many riots. It would be unsafe if um, if we held elections, people would get killed, blah, 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 blah. And so he would just shut down the election. I don't know how hmm. long, I don't know how long he could stay in office under those conditions. I don't know how long the people of the United States would allow that to continue on I can't imagine that they would allow that for very much for very long I mean he's asking if for a revolution yeah, yeah he's asking for a revolution if that happened um, but you know the, the the people who would take part in a revolution are so um, scattered and they're not they're not organized so if they were to try to get organized that would take quite a deal of time so I'm thinking he could do a lot of damage in this time that he is um, under that we're under martial law, and this would make it extremely important for all the sheriffs to be constitutional sheriffs. And um, I was I was thinking as um, uh, I've forgotten your name, Mr. Guest. No. <laughs> Mr. Guess, it's Matt. What's your name? Matt, okay. I, you were explaining how they took your guns in Connecticut. If 
you had had a Well, they did not share. take my guns. Technically, I made a strategic decision to sell them for a dollar so I could recover them later. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, well, still, there's no way that, uh, like in my county, I'm supporting a sheriff. Um, our election for sheriff is coming up this November, and I am supporting a guy for sheriff that tells me and has said numerous times that he will be a constitutional sheriff and that, that if any federal agency tried to come in here and take our guns, um, that he was going to uphold the, the Constitution. He said his oath states that he's going to uphold the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of Florida. Yeah, o- Oath Keepers, well, is, uh, he's probably a member yeah. of the Oath Keepers organization, yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Well, I think we had the founder oh. of the Oath Keepers on, on the show. Cool. Stuart Rhodes? Yeah. So anyway, um, it just it just it just comes to mind that if if these you know, our last line of defense against our government, uh, if we're not organized organized enough to do it ourselves, is our sheriffs. Our are our, our sheriffs. And um I just hope that our country um stays calm and doesn't allow these riots to to uh, get out of control because I think they really will start. I mean, they've already started some riots. Do you um, remember Charles Manson? I mean, I was a uh, you know two oh, years yeah. old or something when this went down, but uh, you know his whole philosophy, helter skelter, was all about race wars, black versus white. So this is mm-hmm. kind of you know this is an old old sort of a thing that they keep pushing. But the truth is that uh, other than in these inner cities and everything, you know, where it's mostly black-on-black violence, um, it just doesn't come to fruition. Yeah. Well, You know, in other words, there isn't that kind of antagonism that these radical left-wing, you know, um, quote-unquote revolutionaries, because that's almost a good term in my mind, so I don't want to grant them that, you know what I mean? But these these subversives... (laughs) They're they're not promoting some positive thing. It's what you know, like in ancient Greece, for example, a philosopher would stand up and say what he believed in or something, and these people would come along who could like shoot it down and destroy it and wreck it. And people would ask them, "Oh, what do you believe?" And they didn't believe anything. And they were called sophists. And the word mm. uh, you know, sophisticated, comes from that word sophist, someone who believes in nothing and who can just tear things down. That's how I view these folks. So, you know, they could go ahead and incite some riots, but chances are 80% of them, you know, uh, wouldn't be walking the next day. Because if it really went down that way, um, the political right in this country is far better armed than the political left. So it isn't a, a pragmatic strategy. And I don't think it resonates with most people because most people around the world want the same thing. They want their kids to be educated and they want, you know, they want to be safe. They want to make a living. They want a home. And these guys don't speak to regular people. They're just angry people who now have got, they're, you know, in the eye of the hurricane with this administration and they're kind of protected and coddled and they're not being prosecuted as they should be for inciting violence. And, uh, their day will be over hopefully soon. Well, you know, there's also in this same article, it shows uh, an ad, and I'm, I don't remember where the ad was placed, but basically it was an ad to solicit people who would uh, 
apply for the job of transportation, um, a leader in transportation, uh, I mean, um, you know, they, they were looking for people who would drive, qualified drivers and, and, and people like that, and they wanted them to have a background, a military or a police background. Um, they, they asked that they would be either ex-law enforcement, ex-military, Coast Guard, National Guard, Army Reserves, Fire Department, police. They, they, um, and, and they wanted them for a project coming up in Cleveland. So I'm, I'm hoping that um, they have, that these guys, these guys who are trying to run these conventions uh, don't want these riots and they're going to try their best to stop them by hiring a lot of extra uh, military trained or law enforcement trained people um, to, to, to be there and to, and to drive people around. Apparently they are, are really expecting something, you know, to happen. And, and this is, I guess there's been in our past, in our country's past, there's been like maybe two other elections where things have gotten really nasty, so nasty that they, they were violent. And um, it, it's really sad to see where we've come. And I just, I'm just praying that somehow, uh, you know how, what you were just talking about, how things don't really go the way they planned them in the first place? Usually the, the riots that end up being the worst are the ones that happen kind of spontaneously. Um, like yeah, well, it, it entirely depends on who's in charge. I mean, um, yeah. you know, not, not to go off on a segue too much, but to, to make a point to your point, um, Cindy, right? Mm-hmm, yes. Um, I mean, look at, for example, um, what was it, Hurricane Katrina, okay, in, in uh, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Roy Nagy was the, um, the mayor of New Orleans, and he rounded up everybody. He sent out the National Guard to uh, disarm people and forced folks into stadiums, and there were mass rapes and killings and all the rest of this thing. And mm-hmm. eventually, you know, he was brought up on charges, and so he lost in the end, but it still went down during the time. And mm-hmm. I think generally speaking across the republic, um, you know, Americans are not as riled up as this left-wing nut is. And as much as the um, this administration and the heads of so many of the executive branch are, you know what I mean? Americans don't feel that. And um, I don't see it coming to much in terms of, you know, trying to maintain presidency or something. I would just add there's an old adage in science, and that is um, – Extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. So, mm-hmm. yeah. you know what I mean? I mean, when it comes right you down to You had a lot of good quotes tonight. <laughs> well, I'm not, I, I certainly don't mean to uh, dismiss your concerns, and um, I don't, you didn't say the word fear, but I would say, you know, people's concerns and fears. Um, because let's face it, this administration has shown us time and time again that they don't care about the rule of law, they don't care about the Constitution, that, you know, 
a radical left-wing agenda. You know, this guy, you know, was a community activist, and this is a, a whole art form founded by George, uh, pardon me, by Saul Alinsky. You know, his political career was kicked off in the home of uh, uh, convicted domestic terrorist Will uh, Bill Ayers. So it should come as no surprise, given you know who he's hired and all these positions and their backgrounds and everything. This isn't such an extreme suggestion. However, the idea, and, and so what I'm saying is I understand where you're coming from. However, the idea, in my opinion, of an intercepted email between the head of you know Black Lives Matter and uh, somebody else referring to the Justice Department, um, I mean, even the intercepted emails supposedly by Guccifer 2.0 or the Russian government of Hillary, you know, um, her strategic plan to defend against, uh, you know, her server and all the, the, the rest of the stuff. This stuff is um, WikiLeaks, for example. None of it is proof. And when it comes to making extraordinary claims, I just say, you know, we've got to have extraordinary proof to back it up. But either way, it doesn't sound like a strategy to me that the American people would tolerate. And in many respects, I kind of would welcome something like this because maybe it would shake a lot of people out of their complacency, and I certainly don't want to see anyone get hurt. And I'm no, no advocate of revolution because we have all these tools in our hands. If Americans would just get off their duffs and do something, we don't need hand of God sort of thing. You know what I mean? We've got everything necessary. We don't have to even talk about the Second Amendment in terms of using it. I'm just saying that um, I, I hope to God it doesn't come to that because there's so many legal things that we could do if we could just rile people up and get them to do the legal things. Number well, one you know would be, when, if I may, real quick, number one would be whoever is uh, you know, controlling the next administration. I would like to see a pattern. I don't care what party it is of going after prosecuting to the fullest extent of the law every oddity in the previous administration. But let's face it, um, chances are uh, the director of the FBI is going to stand up and say, yep, you know, we want to have charges against Hillary Clinton brought, and the Justice Department and the Obama administration will say, we, you know, there's not enough evidence. You know, whether or not uh, Tommy stands up and says something about it, I don't know. Um, you know, that will, that will, you know, is yet to be seen. However, here's the problem. If Obama pardons her, which is very likely, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then oh, yeah. who do you have to blame? How, who do you have to blame for the precedence of it? Well, you know Gerald Ford pardoning Nixon, and a lot of people, short-sightedly, in my opinion, went you know at the time said, well, this is the best thing for the nation, so we could move on. Well, I disagree, because you know I'm a free market capitalist and I believe in nature, and I think that. Um, these sorts of things should be sorted out. And I think every oddity in the Bush administration, every oddity in the Obama administration, you name it, I don't care what side of the aisle, I think everything ought to be investigated from head to toe and prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And I personally think the American people should demand it. But that's just my two cents. No, and I, I agree totally with you. And, and I didn't think at all that you were, you know, insulting me or anything like that. I am a I personally use quotes a lot myself. I have this huge, big, fat quote book, and Robert can tell you I'm always doing that. 
we all do that around here. But you, you had some really good ones tonight. And I, and I well, really the, sen- the sentiment so. of uh, of everything that you were talking about, I think, strikes a chord with a lot of people that are in the know. You know, the yes. specific uh, alleged correspondence between these individuals obviously has to be questioned because it isn't proven. However, the sentiment is a current that I would say, you know, um, a lot of Americans who are in the know would not be surprised by. So kudos kudos uh, to you for bringing it up. Well, no problem. But I just, you know, the, the, the tweets that came after that, that explained how he was hacked also kind of lended to the legitimacy of the, 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 um, the hack. But anyway, uh, to tell you the truth, I'm really not as uh, afraid of what the Black Lives Matter ki- uh, group can do at these conventions. I'm more concerned about what the Muslims might possibly do at these conventions. That is uh, uppermost on my mind. They're, um, I believe they're much more violent and much more, um, uh, much better armed and organized. much better and better planned, uh, organized. Uh, there, there's definitely a potential. I hear you, but um, you know, just my personal opinion on it is that, um, you know, when you look at the Causes of death of Americans, Um, you know, you've got things like uh, heart attack, cancer, smoking. Um, My point is that up until this administration, and they're still extraordinarily low numbers, um, an American's chance of being killed in a terrorist attack um, was, you know, lower than lightning strikes and shark attacks. And Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to... Um, to to put your point on the back burner at all. All I'm sim- simply trying to argue for is the importance of the Bill of Rights. And what I see is a pattern that's been occurring. I grant that it's natural for the you know judicial department to seek more power, and it has in you know American mm-hmm. history, and for the executive branch to seek more power, and it has in American history. However. When the FBI, for example, is talking about, and Democrats are now, um, I think right now, sitting on the floor of Congress um, trying to get a bill passed, um, you know, that would uh, take weapons away from people who have not gone through due process. Um, In other words, if you're on a government no-fly list or a terrorist watch list, this is something that's created by bureaucrats. Judges have not been involved in this process, okay? So what I see is the same thing as 1774, for example, where British soldiers were kicking in the doors of people in Boston looking for any contraband. And whatever they found, you were prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. There was no, you know, no habeas corpus. There was no representation. There was nothing. Mm-hmm. And I see the federal government is doing the same thing that caused the American Revolution at the time. So my concentration, if you will, is more on the rule of law than it is about um, a statistically, currently, statistically small probability of Muslim attacks. In other words, I'm more interested in, in government doing its one job of protecting our individual liberties 
than I am in government throwing away the Bill of Rights for some, you know, the auspices of protecting us. See what I mean? Sure. Sure, sure yeah. Um, I just I just see that the the, the Muslims are uh, the it's not just the Muslim. I mean everybody that is against the sovereignty of the United States, everybody who is against conservatives is scared to death of Trump. And and I just think that they are highly motivated and because they are not of the same moral fiber as a conservative generally speaking um, then then I see them capable of doing anything and so I look at how many groups are 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 full of hate um, and and would love to disrupt at least the Republican convention if not also the Democrat convention and and I look at them and I see there's the Muslims who hate us and and have just shown us Recently in Orlando, how much they hate uh, us and gays, especially. Okay, they hate Jews and they hate uh, they hate Trump. And um, then I see that there's the Black Lives Matter people. They they see the possibility that they might have to go to work uh, for their living from now on instead of getting um, a government ration. And then you've got um, uh, the the, the Democrats themselves, who are so rapidly liberal these days, uh, that and, and so full of hate towards any Republican, but mostly Trump. And then you've got also the um, the New World Order crew. The, whether they're Republican or Democrat, uh, they belong to that elite group uh, in an oligarchy that includes many huge bankers and and. Uh, you know, billionaires like Soros and all them, they have the money to create whatever havoc they want to create. And, and I just think that it, they, if they have the right motivation and if they have the right plan, they would not hesitate to use it. So uh, it's just the, the amount, the numbers of people who hate Trump coming against him all at the same time. That's what kind of concerns me the most. Because, like, if one doesn't do it, the other one might. If that one doesn't, the other one might. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I, so do, many... I, I, I do. And <laughs> if, I, if I may, Cindy, I want to ask Robert a question directly. Um, sure. One of my biggest concerns, Robert, is widespread voter fraud because of the, um, the recent advent of electronic voting machines. And, yeah, um, so I'll you know, mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. There it is. There's your platform. <laughs> but yeah, what was your question? I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, that was my question. I mean, my primary concern, uh, because in other words, there's kind of a dichotomy here in my mind. On the one mm-hmm. hand, I firmly believe that the truth will come through. All right. In other words, if people get properly upset, nature will provide a way. Sort of a thing, you know. You know, Jurassic Park is sort of a concept. I, I believe in that, and free market mm-hmm. capitalism as well. That if you just you know get government out of it, things will sort itself out. However, whatever the case mm-hmm. may be, um, all of that is um, negated if there is a widespread machine established to steal elections. And mm-hmm. it looks to me like the move towards electronic voting machines that requires inspection of the code and a 
um, a comparison of the machine, individual machine's receipts with the exit polls in order to determine whether or not there's a 2% or more difference is not something yeah. that's going to occur. So I can't help but wonder all of these philosophical points and truth versus ignorance and complacency versus passion, if all of that is irrelevant, if there is a widespread um, ability for the election to be stolen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I find it interesting, uh, and I'm not much of a conspiracy theory myself, but I have thought about this on a, a couple of times, uh, and maybe Kelly can uh, talk more about uh, the machines because he's actually working with a group uh, that are, you know, working. Oh, that was redundant. But he's working with a group that, you know, is looking towards, you know, keep an eye on the voting, uh, especially electronic voting, things of that nature. He's working uh, with Jim Connor Jr. on that. Um, I think it's True the Vote is the people that uh, he's working for. You, you may or may not have heard of that organization. Uh, of course. True vote. Yes. Okay. And so, uh, and then, you know, when Kelly gets back on, because uh, I know he had, to, he had to get on a, a different call, and then he comes back and, and text. Oh, well, I'm just sharing a text. Maybe that's something he's coming back on. But, <laughs> but first of all, uh, let, let me. I'll finish my point. Is that you know, we we seen how close it was, or maybe even put together on how close it was uh, with you know Bush and Gore. You know when they had uh, you know the hanging chads and they're holding up you know the paper ballot. You know, you know the axiom, you know, don't let a, a, a crisis go to waste, right? And so I really think that they used what happened in 2000, all the hoopla that happened then with that election, uh, to really push, oh, you know, let, let's get started in, do, in doing these electronic machines. I think they, they used that. They're just waiting for an opportunity uh, for that to come out, which, of course, they do a lot of. I mean, it seems like every time there's some kind of shooting, you know, or, or something of that nature, you know, that's their opportunity to try to, you know, curtail our gun rights. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And, uh, Cindy, again, I didn't mean to dismiss what you were saying. It's simply that um, my greater fear is not whether or not it's going to become a race war, but whether or not um, there's already you know something in place where um, none of that's necessary because um, – Look, Bernie Sanders supporters will tell you that uh, the United States established in the U.N. a discrepancy between the receipts from voting machines and the exit polls in, ex- you know, in excess of 2% was a flag for mm-hmm. widespread voter fraud. And, and in many of the states where, you know, Bernie Sanders – California. And, yeah, you're talking about up to upwards of 18%. So there are, what, an organization of – I think it's like 23 have um, a um, – a lawsuit now um, claiming widespread voter fraud. My 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 point is, if um, if because it looks really legit. I mean, I'm certainly not a Bernie Sanders supporter, and I don't care about the nonpartisan thing in my tagline because I'll say that any day of the you know the year. I have lots of uh, Jewish friends, including Aaron Zellman, who's now gone, who was the founder of uh, JPFO.org, Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership who was something of a mentor to me, um, you know, for the short time that I knew him. But he was uh, one of the Jews who uh, severely advocated uh, everyone own a gun. His position was that, uh, you know, the Holocaust could not have occurred had Jews been armed. But uh, my point Mm -hmm. is that uh, Bernie Sanders, um, 
supporters have a very valid argument to make as to whether or not uh, you know these incredible irregularities in the uh, democratic uh, you know convention that's coming up and everything are legitimate and um, i just question whether or not everything that you're saying is kind of like pushed down the line a little bit if we're talking about a machine that's already well established to steal the election because you're the one Cindy remember you brought up how the um, not Black Lives Matter uh, Black Panthers the new Black Panthers remember you know the famous case where the guy was intimidating voters with the baton and this was like the transition of the Bush administration to the Obama administration they chose not to prosecute but it looked like all the facts it was obvious that it shouldn't have been a white and black matter and that like it was obviously uh, you know um, intimidating voters, and yet they just squashed it and let it go. And that was kind of mm-hmm. like the beginning of this administration's failure at justice. Um, yeah. But but I think that I, I, that's my concern that you know there, there's a machine in place, and um, we can go ahead and do everything and talk about the truth and the facts and do our due diligence and our research and talk to everyone. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, maybe uh, maybe maybe, maybe the outcome's already been determined. Well, I, I certainly didn't think I certainly didn't feel like you were belittling belittling me. And we have had that conversation many times here on this show about the the voter thing because uh, I I'm a member oh, of yeah. uh, True the Vote. Uh, there's a couple of us here that are True the Vote people, and uh, we actually try to get our um, supervisor of elections to clean our rolls and things like that. But uh, as you stated, the, the the big danger is not so much in people uh, registering to vote and then voting three or four times or whatever. Um, or being dead and voting. Right, being dead and voting and all those things. That isn't nearly the problem as much as having a, a voter machine that is programmed to count two, uh, two or three votes for each um, Clinton uh, vote or, you know, and and not for the Trump, you know, only one for Trump. Uh, so, yeah, that is the main thing. And then you've got the court system under Obama that says, um, well, we can't go in and uh, check on those programs because uh, we can't look at the code because that's protected by copyright. And and when you look at all mm. that and, and, and see how the deck is stacked against us, to tell you the truth, I think that the Republican states, you know, we got a lot of red states here, and I think what they really need to do is um, their legislatures need to uh, get on the stick and uh, figure a way to um, uh, double check all the, in other words, count the paper ballots too. Like here in Florida, we 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 do a paper ballot and then. It goes into the machine, and the machine counts it. Yeah, pregnant um, chads and hanging, right. <laughs> all that stuff. Well, but no, I would, I'm just going to add something to what you said. Um, I, I, I think you're going to agree with me on this. People shouldn't sit on their duff and wait for their representatives to do this. Um, anyone who cares has got to get out there and do something. You yep. can show up, and you can, you know, you can register to be. Um, at the polling stations to look for irregularities. You can write letters, faxes, emails. You know, you can start petitions. You can do all this stuff. People should get active because here's the bottom line. 
wherever it falls, right, I just want it to be the will of the people. Um, but the Bill of Rights is not um, something that is subject to the will of the people. And that's my problem with judicial activism, because inalienable rights means that there's one way to change it, and it's there, and that's a, you know, a constitutional amendment, whether it be through a constitutional convention or the way that we've always done it. But either way, the idea of judges changing it by decree or a president changing it by executive um, action, which essentially is like a king's decree, or people sitting mm-hmm. back on their duffs and waiting for their representatives who have a vested interest. Because let's face it, look, you know, years ago, one of the things they used to talk about was the importance of term limits. And it's a widespread accepted notion. I mean, even, even you know, the, the stupidest person in the world who still votes regularly is for term limits, but you can't get them implemented because our representatives aren't really our representatives. They're not mm-hmm. generally. I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't exceptions, of course, but there are still some statesmen but uh, and women, but um, generally speaking, you know, they're serving themselves. So until the American people stand up, we can't get even the basic stuff done. And when it comes to this election, we're so divided I don't know. My big point is people have to just get up and go to their local town hall and figure out a way, do the research, do the reading, and figure out a way that they can make a difference. Because if not, guess what? Your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids are going to suffer. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I liked Virgil Goode in 2012, uh, because that's one of the things, you know, he was promoting – uh, he was uh, running for president of uh, the Constitution Party uh, in 2012. We had him on a number of times, and I actually got the uh, the joy and privilege to meet the guy. I tell you what, talk about a salt of the earth person. If you if you ever could have thought, you know, had a salt of the earth person, at least in modern day, uh, to be president, let me tell you, this you know, virtual good guy. He was a uh, good guy. Get it? Um, <laughs> he was a good guy. <laughs> I tell you what. Um, yeah, that just came out without me even intending it. Uh, but yeah, and let, let, yeah, let me give you a little backstory. Um, you know, and it's at this point where you know, uh, you know, fortunate to be able to call him friend. But uh, we, um, he was did, and we did a, a live stream uh, from the Free and Equals uh, third party debate or alternate party debate in 2012, uh, which was in Chicago. And he was driving back to Virginia, where he's from. Uh, you know, going through Troy, Ohio. And, you know, I want to you know, either do a live interview or to meet or, you know, meet him, just have a discussion with him. And uh, he agreed to do that. He said, you know, he said, well, I'm, I'm going to be uh, in Troy, Ohio, you know, and I'm like, oh, man, I, that's just like a couple hours away from where, you know, I'm at. And so, you know, so we then decided that I was going to meet him there. He was uh, doing a, a lunch at a um, just, a, you know, little cafe like restaurant. Uh, and so, you know, I was driving up there and because of construction that I didn't know was, you know, you know, on, on my way up there, uh, it was going to make me run late. And and I called him and I said, Virgil, I said, uh, I hate to say it. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be late and I'm afraid I'm going to be so late. You know, I'm going to miss our meeting. <laughs> I'm going to miss our lunch. And he goes, what? And he says, really, if you have, if you ever heard him, he's got this really strong Southern accent. Um, and so, I mean, I wouldn't even attempt to do it. I almost thought about something, but I won't. Uh, but he's like, well, Rob, yes, yeah, I can't do it. But anyway, he's like, you know, basically he said, well, I'll wait for you. 
And I'm like, uh, okay. And so, yeah, so there's this guy running for president. You know, he's on 48 states, and he's going to wait for, you know, this little guy, you know, uh, to come up to, to, to have our lunch. And his uh, wife was there, and uh, a couple of his campaigners, campaign staff was there. And, indeed, he, he's like, and when you get close, you know, just give me a call, and I'll, uh, you know, I'll give you the directions, make sure you get to the cafe, you know, and because it was in this little, like, little town kind of thing. It was interesting. You know, it was kind of cool. And so, but he did. I called. I said, well, I'm close. He goes, well, you know, you go down this street and that street. And, you know, I finally got the opportunity to meet him. And uh, he ended up buying me lunch. <laughs> it was a hamburger and french fries. You know, cool story. Cafe, and, you know, yeah, we, yeah, we just talked. And uh, he collects, uh, uh, camp, like, and I do too, uh, he collects campaign signs. You know, you put the sign in the yard for the candidates. Uh, well, he collects those, and so I brought a couple that I had up. Uh, he gave me a couple of his, of course, and then I had a couple, uh, you know, Gingrich ones. And so, you know, I, I gave him a couple, and then, you know, I got some buttons and things of that nature. And, you know, I got a you know picture with him and a couple of folks, uh, which I still have. But, I mean, it's just that. I mean, just solid of the earth guy. I mean, what, what other guy running for president? You know, you take, I mean, even if you take Trump or, or even Hillary Clinton, you know, are they going to – wait for one single guy to to come to uh to, no they're gonna eat and they're gonna get the hell out of there you know what i mean <laughs> but no not this guy and to have, have someone like him to have been our president i think uh underneath maybe gingrich or maybe even even more so i mean i was just so impressed with him uh that you know for, for him somebody of that you know caliber just salt of the earth person would just would just been phenomenal, I think. And and the reason why I'm bringing him up is he was four term limits. That's one of the things uh, issue wise that I like liked of him is he was four term limits. He also much like Gay, that's one of the reasons why he actually uh, we had him on recently uh, because he endorsed Donald Trump. And I think one of the reasons why he endorsed Donald Trump is his immigration. He says he's going to be the strongest one in immigration. And one of the things he uh, said that he wanted to do was actually suspend all now this is when unemployment was worse than it is now uh, but he said it, it suspend all immigration until you know the uh was a unemployment rate got to four percent because you know all these immigrants illegal and legal are coming in taking all these american jobs right you know there might in some instances be lower way you know paying jobs but they're taking american jobs and you know he felt that, you know, and I'm not speaking for him by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but my take of it was, you know, he felt and thought that, hey, these jobs should go to, you know, the citizens of our country before they go to, you know, people who are, you know, immigrants, whether illegal or not. Um, well, I mean, you know, it's a legitimate point, and, um, you know, historically, at the height of American um, immigration in the 1920s and 30s, for example, uh Ellis Island, for example, uh, one-third of all immigrants were turned away, and they were turned away for inability to support themselves. Um, being an idiot was the actual term, meaning they, weren't, they didn't have the mental capacity or they were physically ill, like they had you know, influenza, tuberculosis, any of these other horrible things at the time. But one-third at the discretion of the immigration, uh, immigration agent you know, were, were turned away. And um, I remember when the Berlin Wall fell down, and um, there were all these, uh, you know, East German scientists and physicists and all these other people with incredible, you know, degrees and um, um, just, you know, 
would have been phenomenal um, additions to the United States. Um, none of them were let in, and yet, you know, we were letting in lots of, you know, Cuban boat people and stuff like this. So the idea of determining who can come into your house, open the refrigerator, you know, drink your beer, eat your food, sit on your couch and watch your TV. I mean, are we a sovereign nation or are we not? This notion of, like, um, giving these rights to illegals. Um, frankly, I kind of like Mexico's immigration laws. That's what we ought to have. It's You know, it's very clear. Sure. I mean, you don't have the right to free speech in this country if you're an illegal, in my opinion, because – well, you don't have the right to purchase a weapon, do you? I mean, do you have the right to vote? Well, I know there are some districts in, around San Francisco that are working on that, you know, on local issues. But but at the end of the day, I think this is something that, like, you can get, like, 90-something percent of the American public to agree on, and yet our representatives are so far out there. They are so disconnected with the rest of us. They just don't get it. I mean, why are we for example, not determining who can help us as opposed to who we can help. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't the quotas of who comes into the U.S. be based on what they're going to contribute? Right. Yeah, what they're going to take. <laughs> and That's what I think in a message. Yeah, certainly. And I, and I got a message. You try to get into Australia. Well, Australia actually is an interesting example when you bring that up, Cindy, because Australia has a real problem with Muslims because they recognize the fact that the Quran itself says that a good Muslim will lie um, in order to accomplish the mission, essentially. So um, I look at it this way. I'll take it one step further. Maybe this is a bit rad- more radical than I intended you know, to say tonight in the, in the interview, but the bottom line is I'll say it. Um, every one of our elected officials takes an oath to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, you know, both foreign and domestic. And uh, I would argue that if um, if someone goes into the position disagreeing with the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, and the Constitution, that they are automatically ineligible. Right. And the same thing applies to immigrants. If you are of whatever the belief system that is incompatible with the notion that women can vote and can drive cars. And, um, you know, and it, if, it, if it blows your mind that, uh, the, the, you know, that it doesn't require five men um, present uh, to testify that a woman was raped, you see what I'm saying? I just, I just think that these are philosophical concepts that are absolutely, absolutely incompatible with you know this country and um we have the right and duty to say no you cannot assimilate you won't assimilate and so you're not coming in absolutely i'm in 100 percent agreement with you but you know australia got um taken over by some liberal politics some some um uh, progressives got a hold of Australia not too many years ago, and that's the reason they started uh, allowing all the the Muslims to come in. And uh, they got politically correct, like uh, as like the downfall of America and, and France and England and all the rest who are starting to have big problems with the Muslims in their countries. 
It just got co-opted by the wrong people, and, and political correctness came in there, and then it was all over. Well, you know, I don't know. For me, the big question is whether or not individuals are stepping up to the plate and doing what they need to do, because looking at, uh, you know, government as this parental figure has gotten us into the mess that we're in. You know what I mean? It's it's ours, and um, I just I, – I love it when I hear that, um, you know, Congress's email servers have been brought down by the sheer quantity of messages coming in from their constituents, you know, that they know nothing about. <laughs> yeah. To me, that's that, that's like the beginning of good news. And yeah. um, that's really what it's about, is for folks to step up to the plate. And I'm not surprised by this. And frankly, you know, whichever direction it goes, if we stay on the current course, um, I would say we're looking at an island of um, faux security. And then um, that's it. You know, I mean, China just, you know, made a big threat today, and uh, the U.S. is not what it once was. And um, and we, you know, in the ancient Greek saying, get the government we deserve. The unfortunate yep. thing is that those of us who are in the know and don't care what our neighbors are up to so long as they don't cross into our own lines of liberty, the problem is that many of us get the government that our neighbors deserve. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> and, let's go, and, and, and let's go ahead and bring uh, Kelly back in, and then we've got John in the line. So, John, we will get you into the show. Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, bring Kelly. Kelly, welcome back. Hey. Hear him? Uh, are we somebody knocking on a door? Go ahead, Kelly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah, you know, I, I did want to mention that, um, and I'm always going to back up the American people here. It's not that they don't care. I think the problem is they have been beaten down. They are discouraged. They're not stupid. They they don't know how to become politically active. They don't know how to get somebody into office. They don't know how to oppose or support a local measure. Um, they don't know how to call up their supervisors and meet with them. Um, and when we have, and I've been an activist since 1987, but when you um, provide some leadership, if you will, people will follow. Um, we did something concerned about our land rights, property rights, and Buddy and I, we did a video and we packed the supervisor chambers out the hallway and down the stairs. Leadership is really key to uh, bringing empowerment to the American people. So I... You know, I'm trying to be sensitive to those who might want to um, learn from my example and have the courage to do it. Um, and the other problem is, point blank, some people are scared. And if <clears throat> if Trump does what he says, um, other things I know about him, uh, people will not be so afraid anymore, and they're going to be becoming activists left and right because that fear has been removed. So anyway, uh, all sorts of issues there. But I, I wanted to jump into we were talking about election fraud. Uh, I, I want to bring an update about California. Um, boy, it's it's really complicated, and they hide it in complication, and we're finally figuring it out. But we had a conference call last night, 25 people all over. Um, first of all, um, people are aware of it. I'm, you know, I'm a registered libertarian. I'm not a Bernie or Hillary fan, but I do respect the right to their, their vote be counted, whichever they vote for. 
And so I'm on the call with a bunch of Bernie Sanders uh, fans, and uh, they're seeing these problems, this problem, that problem, this problem, it's all over the place. Three counties have flipped uh, initial, oh, yeah, Hillary won our county. No, three times. Three counties have flipped so far. If L.A. County or San Francisco County flips from an honest vote count, uh, Bernie Sanders could win. Hillary still needs California for the uh, nomination in the Democratic Party. Um, let's see. Games are being played where people that uh, it's found out through Facebook. I just talked to a lady. Um, she was. Uh, she said, "I've been a Democrat all my life. I never got a sample ballot. I showed up. My name was removed off the roster." I said, "Do you like Hillary? Oh, I can't stand her. Are you on Facebook? Yeah, they've hunted down your information, put you on a list, and that's why you're removed off the roster. A vote for Bernie is against Hillary. This is a local story." It's like, oh, my gosh, I've heard so many other stories like this. Um, and there's trickery that if, uh, <clears throat> if they throw people out of the party, in California it's a closed state. Closed state means if you're a Democrat, you can only vote for Democrat, Republican, Republican, Independent, Independent, etc. cetera. Uh, people are getting kicked out. Well, if you're not in the party by uh, May 23rd, that's two weeks before the election, if you come back in on election day, your vote legally does not count period, does not count. And then there's a thing called the non um, nonpartisan party, which can vote for a Democrat, but they have to ask for the Democratic ballot. And there's all sorts of games and trickery. I mean, we're just scratching the surface. So <clears throat> last night, uh, I looked at the election results that are finalized in our small county, and there was around 16,200 votes in a local measure, a very uh, controversial uh, marijuana measure. You know, everybody's coming out because they're voting yes or no or what have you. So that gives me a good, strong indication how many people voted. However, whoever, all the people that cast votes, like 16,200-something, they, um, if I got the stats right here, I can dig them up quick. I'm digging quickly. But basically what I'm about to tell you is that of all those that voted, touched the ballot that day, one out of six did not vote for a president. One out of six. That means they could have voted independent, libertarian, Green Party, what have you, Republican, Democrat, and amongst each party, there are all, all sorts of candidates, all these selections from all sorts of different parties, and one out of six voters in Siskiyou County did not vote for a president. Something is wrong. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. People, as people look at the ballot, and it's like a communist ballot. You know, the oligarchy tells you who you get to vote for on the ballot. Um, you, you don't get any choice in that. You, you get the choice of demon A or demon B. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, well, no. What I'm saying is, we we have we have six parties that you could have voted for and a plethora of candidates in each party. And so one out of six didn't vote for a presidential candidate. Or they did vote, and the vote did not count legally because of the games. Um, you know, here's another thing going on in San Francisco, for example. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to throw this parched. All right. In San Francisco, uh, Bernie Sanders rallies. 100,000 people showed up. 
Hillary Clinton was elected to fill up a Starbucks. And then all of a sudden, what do you know? Hillary wins in San Francisco County. Really? It ain't over yet, folks. So, yeah, here we go. Here's the exact numbers. Measure U is a local uh, controversial measure about marijuana. 16,246 uh, votes on that topic. Then we look at Republican, Democrat, Independent, People's Free Party, never heard of them, Green and Libertarian. So you got four third parties, all these candidates. You total up the votes cast, 13,560 versus total ballot, 16,246. One in six. This is from the, the Siski Daily paper. What is going on here? And it's not... It's not that people hate all these evil people and all these parties. It's because voters are voting, thinking they voted, and legally it doesn't count. If you weren't in the party before May 23rd, and here's the other deceptive tricks. Um, People think, oh, thank you, I voted provisional. I was kicked out of the Democratic Party. Um, I came in to vote on the 7th, and I was independent. But they gave me a provisional. Oh, thank you. I took the provisional. I voted for Bernie Sanders, put it in the envelope, and they said they told me it would be counted. And guess what happened? Legally, it can't be counted. Are you getting the point that somebody who loves Hillary Clinton, oh, that's right, Alex Padilla, the Secretary of State, is what? He is a Hillary fan. Something is going on wrong from the very top. Well, he's not really a Hillary fan. He's an NWO fan. Well, yeah, there's that too. But right, let's oh, go ahead and uh, get real quick, Cindy, because uh, unfortunately we, right. we're running out of time here. Okay, go ahead, and then what we're going to do is we're going to get uh, uh, some response uh, comments from Matt, and then we've got Don on the line. He'd like to chime in. So let's go ahead and bring it over. Uh, to you, Matt, and then we'll bring in John. Go ahead. And then well, I, still have, um, I still have one more song of, of Matt's that I like to play tonight. Go yeah, ahead. Bring, bring John on, and then we'll spring the, the you know spin the track. That's you know, that's what I'm thinking. I'm not uh, you know uh, putting down anything that Kelly brought on, but boy, it's uh, you know it's huge. <laughs> so we need another well, hour we, for that one. So I'm saying bring right down. Well, we have we do have shows that we wish we could do a fourth hour because we've got plenty of discussion we could do. But let's go ahead. Can I finish the thought here, quick? Uh, right. Real quick, yeah. I want to bring John in. I want to be fair. All right. If it's if it's successful that Bernie wins California, it's going to take Hillary down in flames. You know what? I hope that doesn't happen. I'd much rather rather put Trump against Hillary than than Bernie. Yeah, well, I'd have to disagree with that, Cindy. I can't imagine uh, the United States voting for a socialist. I mean, he'd get a lot of votes, but I don't think, you know, overall uh, he'd be able to win. I think Hillary's much tougher. Uh, We can talk about that more later. But I want to bring in John. Thank you very much, John, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Wonderfully delicious, silly rabbit trickster for kids. Yeah, I just noticed there was a position a little bit earlier in the conversation that was 
getting very serious in my opinion and it, it always stirs me up because really it doesn't matter how intellectual any one of us are or how smart we think we are because no matter what I tell you you're going to think what you want to think unless I convince you based on your own convictions and your own knowledge base and your own emotional and intellectual IQ and everybody's at a different level in those stages what it boils down to is who gets to decide what for who. And too many of us want to decide all the rules, regulations, processes, and procedures for everybody else, but we don't want them to decide them for us. And that's why I continue to preach mutuality of agreement in all of our laws, processes, and procedures that every legal United States citizen have their will enacted, codified, and ratified just like every other legal United States citizen. Otherwise, we're just going to crumble because once one person or one group of people make, start making decisions and then just saying everybody else has to believe the way they believe or act the way they want decided, then you automatically are inviting um, revenge or riot because nobody likes to, other people to dictate to them the ways of the world. Either you mutually assent to agree how we move forward or you um, marginalize and ostracize a certain group and they're going to come back and get you one day or another. I agree wholeheartedly, John. You're absolutely right. The bottom line is it comes down to the golden rule, doesn't it? You know, I mean... No, um, it, it's more than that. It's more than just the golden rule because what's the golden rule saying? He who has the gold makes the rules? Well... I mean, the and notion is. You're right. If you like peanuts, if you like peanuts, and you want me, you want to treat me with peanuts because you like them, but you don't take into consideration that I don't like peanuts or I'm allergic to them. You just killed me with your love because your love was based on your own selfish perspective of what love meant. I think that's a very fair, um, you know, philosophical position because you're right because. The golden rule doesn't stipulate the difference between superimposing one's dogmatic perspective, one's doctrines on other people. But freedom, on the other hand, is kind of like love. You've got to give it to get it. You know what I mean? Tolerance well, is what it's all it's, about. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, freedom, and freedom in itself is defined by each person in their, its own unique way. Your freedom or pursuit of happiness is made up in a different way than mine might be. That's true, but would you disagree with the notion that your freedom ends where mine begins? There may be overlap, but unless we sit down and actually talk about what the details mean, then we're going to continue to miss, have multiple interpretations of what the Declaration of Independence is, the Bill of Rights, think... and that's why we argue all the time is because we want to make the decisions and we want everybody to follow what we decide when we're not really – we don't really care if we decide together. And I'm I, always – I've busted my head against this wall for 50-plus years of my life knowing that most people want to decide for themselves the rules, processes, and procedures of their own making. Then they'll voluntarily hold themselves obligated and you know, um, uh, obedient to the rules of their own making, but when it's – coerced or forced or tricked into being under the rule of man that's masquerading deceitfully as the rule of law, 
they're going to fight. They're going to even tell you what you want to hear and then knife you in the back in order to get around it because they know if they talk to you straight up face-to-face, they're going to get to run around. Hey, John. That's what humanity's I, 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 hey, part is the problem. Hey, John. I want to throw out a comment about the peanut analogy you were talking about. Um, so I think if I'm acting in love, I mean, I could say I love people. A lot of women I'd like to love, but I'd get in trouble for that. Um, but if I'm acting, <laughs> yeah, my heart would be wrong too, and that's not good. Anyway, so if I'm acting in love, I would first learn out what they like, what they want, what they need. That's really kind of the first part of love, and then oh, a person likes this but doesn't like this, I won't give them what they don't want. So that's I'm kind of shooting holes in your little uh, peanut analogy and stuff. But I'm thinking that's the way I should act, at least, to first learn what a person likes. Because that's what I would like somebody to know about me. What do I like? Amen, brother. Can I jump in for a moment with you gentlemen mind, just for a second? No, not at all. You're the guest. you got the... Uh... Uh, say before anyone. That's <laughs> your show. Um, I uh, well, I tell you might want to tell them a little bit about how I view that. <laughs> the, uh, Go ahead, man. Robert. This, Robert turns this into the Bard's Logic Gospel Hour, but he's actually. Uh, well, I'll let you tell him what you are, but we all tease Robert about this. Yeah, go, go ahead, Matt. Yeah, we can talk well, more I, on that look, later. I, I think <laughs> that I think that John's point is absolutely quintessential to um, the, the, the two positions that we see in the back and forth, this tennis match, this ping pong match all the time between individual liberty and the notion of um, the majority being able to di- dictate to others what it's all about. But my point is this. The philosophy of natural rights, John Locke, go back a little bit. I did this video. It's like a three-minute video called What Are Rights? And I'm just going to kind of like do this for, I don't know, less than a minute, I promise, maybe 30 seconds. The bottom line is there are some basic things that all human beings want, all right? In nature, we are free to do anything and everything we want to. We form groups because it benefits us. And those relationships with other human beings are voluntary, We form governments voluntarily. This is the essence of what the Declaration of Independence says, right? So here's the the crux of it. In order to be able to preserve these basic inalienable rights given to you by birth or by God, however you view it, it's really the same thing. The point is they're very small and limited, things like life, property, the ability to sell, you know, to have self-defense, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. These are the, the core principles in the Bill of Rights. Once you begin to expand upon these quote-unquote basic principles, right, and you start talking about things like the right to a fair wage, the right to work, the right to housing, the right to medical care, any of these other things, Um, the right to abortion. Although, gosh, I wish I didn't open that can of worms. But the point is (laughs) you start to infringe on the basic rights, meaning philosophically to be consistent. 
there are a limited number of basic rights, which is why people found governments. This is why we join these systems voluntarily. Now, granted, we don't feel that we're voluntarily you know, subjects of this current administration or this government in general. I'm just saying philosophically from a pure perspective, um, it is a voluntary relationship, and there can only be some very, very basic rights. And my suggestion to you, John, is that um, your point is an excellent one that I would say, in my perspective, can be solved by um, defining what are these basic rights. Because, because once you start going into, and you didn't say this at all, I'm just simply stating that when you go into things like you know, a fair wage and a right to housing or medical care or whatever, the problem is that necessarily infringes on one of the basic rights, which is property. And so you can't have 51% of the majority dictating to the rest of the people um, what you can and can't have, like weapons to you know, protect yourself or to overthrow your government if you see as necessary, which is why we have a Bill of Rights. So these basic rights are really the core of it. And once you've got those instilled, and, and everyone understands that these are really clear, at least, you know, hopefully the majority of us, then it isn't an issue, is what I'm saying. But you're right, because a lot of people come in with their dogma, their doctrines, and they take the golden rule and they pervert it because they view what they think you ought to do. And that's really, you know, a perversion of what government is. Because um, people just basically all around the world – if you ask them the ten things that they want, um, they're pretty much you know, in agreement. The question is whether or not they can infringe on the rights of their neighbors or everyone else in order to achieve them. And if, they, and if it's necessary to do that, then it is not a right. A right is something that you have amongst yourself and does not require other people adopting your vision of utopia. If you need other people to step in line and to do what you want them you know, to, to do, that's not a right. That's tyranny. Uh, <clears throat> I want to throw a thought out here that uh, we are all wrong in our ideas of rights and liberties because the United Nations has a Declaration of Universal Rights. And it's, rights. And it's contradictory. You have the right to health care. Oh, no, you don't have the right to own a gun nor trial by jury. It's not in there. So that settles it. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Hmm. Well, you see what I'm oh, saying? In way, other words, gave, those are gave. not rights because because they contradict themselves logically. I mean, this is Bard's logic. Let's talk logic. I, I, I know, I know. Well, the, in Iraq, who was, who was president that gave – who was the president? The uh, – Morsi. Uh, no, uh, George Bush. He was he was the commander over the whole military. We conquered Iraq. We gave him a constitution. You have the right to health care. You don't have the right to a gun. You don't have the right to trial by jury. Really, George W. Bush? You gave Iraq. You conquered a country and gave him a constitution. Really? I guess <laughs> one of my must, favorite. I guess one, he, missed the, he missed George Bush missed the internal memo. One of my favorite life. lines was uh, Jay yeah, Leno. I'm so sorry, but um, uh, I I apologize for being rude, but uh, I was trying to crack a joke here. Jay Leno went on uh, The Tonight Show and said, uh, yeah, so I hear that uh, the Iraqi people are, you know, about to vote on the Constitution. Well, let's just give them ours. We're not using it. 
Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. No. I like that one. Oh, oh, that's good. And, and, <laughs> that is. That's real good. But and I'm 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 surprised you hear that from Jay Leno. Um, I didn't yeah. think you know. I'm I'm actually surprised. Uh, but you know, it looks like we only have about. Gosh, can you believe it? Uh, less than 20 minutes before I have to t- take closing comments and, and and close the show for tonight. And as you pointed out, Matt, uh, this is probably one of those shows where we could have done a fourth hour, that's for certain. Uh, but I do want to get uh, the last pick of song that you sent to me, which is uh, they can't take away from uh, your radio, or, or I, I couldn't squeeze the whole title on my audio. Yeah, it's a long one. It's they can't take that away from you. And, um, you know, it's kind of cool. It's a, it's an interesting piece of synchronicity here that's occurring because, uh, you know, uh, we're talking about individual liberty, and uh, that's what the song is about. It's about the relationship between the individual and government, and it's called They Can't Take That Away From You. I wrote this about three months before the whole um, Occupy Wall Street movement came out, and uh, there's a video, this one and the rains, you know, coming are on my YouTube channel. Oh, cool. Yeah, we'll have to definitely check that out. I didn't know you had a YouTube channel. Uh, do you want to give it a plug before we uh, do the audio, do the song? Yeah, well, I mean, that's it, basically. I mean, everything that we've been talking about, individual liberty. No, oh, that's the the YouTube. I, I apologize. Yeah. Your, your YouTube channel. Sure, yeah. Just patreonmusic.com, and you can get all of it from there. Okay, but, great. You know, listen, well, let's go. I know we have limited time, but I'd love to hear John's opinion of uh, the lyrics after you spin the track, if you don't mind, and Cindy, and yours, of course. Yeah, go. Certainly. Well, we'll get them in first because here on Bard's Logic, the host answers last. So that's okay uh, because we say this is your show, the people's show, and that is what Bard's Logic is about. That's why it's not named after me. Uh, So let's go ahead and play that track. Depends on what you do 
So is that an 80s riff I heard at the end of that song? <laughs> Man, you should have seen the smoke coming off of Rich's strings when he played that riff. There's like three people on the planet that can do that. <laughs> I, I am. I, yeah, it's I, like I, a, I an, an, a good old eighties riff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, being a, a teenager in the eighties. And so, as per uh, Matt's request, we'll go ahead and uh, take comments of those lyrics. And of course, we will go to John. And then uh, let's go ahead and bring it over to Susan, and then Cindy, and then uh, yourself. Uh, Kelly, and then uh, we'll uh, go on from there, because unfortunately, after we make our comments uh, on that, we will probably have to get ready uh, for our closing comments uh, of the night, and we'll have to uh, go from there. Go ahead, uh, Joe, not Joe, John. Sorry. Yeah, it was, <laughs> on my signal here, it was distorted. I couldn't make it out, and then there was portions that dropped out so much, I'd couldn't make out oh, enough of terrible. I had the same problem. Really? I hope, well, hopefully the podcast where it comes through the speakers of the computer, it's different. Because usually when you call in, uh, then, you know, coming through a phone, I, I noticed and then listening to some of the, the podcasts, uh, the, the music does come through a little differently uh, through the computer speakers uh, when you're playing Matt, the uh, audio. Matt, can you read us some of the lyrics to it? Yeah, I could do that. Um, give me, um, let's see, uh, uh, 10 seconds. Let's see. Uh, music. The music was awesome. Lyrics. And, like, entitled. Uh, and they can't tell. Sorry, I'm like, I'm, I'm one of these obnoxious people that uh, speaks out loud while I'm oh, like, navigating my on my computer. I think out loud sometimes. <laughs> All right, so here you go. Um, it comes with every, all right, so the song is, they can't take that away from you. And, uh, you know, the meaning is about inalienable rights. In other words, these very few specific individual liberties and the reason we form government. Okay. So the lyrics are, it comes with every walk of life from the homeless to a prince. They say it's been a long, long time that we haven't earned it since it guides the heart and fills the soul and it teaches to be true. And they can't take that away from you. No, 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 no. You know your rights are not like laws they can change or just ignore. They're there to claim by every soul, like so many did before. And I can see it in your eyes, but it depends on what you do. But they can't take that away from you. And any time we cower, we grant them one more power to take more. Remember all the souls who fought for you before. Now it's your war. They can't take that away from you. Well, I can't wait till we can uh, hear them with the music. That, that those are uh, that, that's powerful. What do you think, John? I don't know what to think. I mean, it's leaving a lot to my imagination. Well, there, I, I understand. Good, I understand totally what he's talking about, um, that that the difference between rights that are inalienable and rights that come as a part of human law. Um, now, I'm Christian, and I believe that the inalienable rights that we've been given, the reason we, in our, our cognitive uh, 
thought the reason we believe that they are inalienable is because they were given to us by God, and when God gives them to you, then there's no one who can take them away from you. Now, uh, in your head anyway. Now, uh, the governments of the past in, in history have always tried to take those inalienable rights away from people, and they have been successful in doing that. And so, as he say, states at the end there, it is our fight now to, to, con- to make sure that we continue to have those inalienable rights because if we do nothing, they will get taken from us. With the, the famous saying, the only, the, uh, e- the only thing evil needs to triumph is that good men do nothing. Um, and that, that's kind of what I, I get from the song is that we have these rights. They're given to us by God. And and if we don't uh, continue to be vigilant and if we don't continue to fight for them, then we will lose them. We You can give those rights away. You get the gold star. The only thing I would add to this, and I hope it gives you chills, you never <laughs> lose sorry. them. Even even if it looks like you've lost them, you've never lost them. Well, yeah, I know what you mean. I mean <laughs> yes, you're right. You're right. But but if if you're if you're in the if you're in slavery, yeah, it's kind of hard to say that you still have them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, all I could say is if I'm being hoarded up against a wall, against the firing squad, I will be the one person that will not comply. <laughs> yeah, I uh, no, you won't be the only person. <laughs> okay, fair enough. No. Yeah, we are. Too bad we don't have Dan here because you mentioned because uh, we we are pretty both uh, party wise and and also religious wise, I guess you could say, or because you just pointed out you're a Christian, and then uh, Kelly he pointed out uh, that sometimes, uh, which is kind of ironic because. I'm a druid. Uh, that we have, uh, <laughs> that we have what he calls the uh, Bard's Logic Bible Hour uh, <laughs> on here. Uh, other people would be beating other noses of Wiccan and something like that. Uh, you know, well, let's, let's be frank. I mean, the majority of our, of our audience uh, is, is Christian, probably. I, w- I would dare say that the vast majority of, of the audience here, uh, you know, on Bard's Logic, and, and of course the panel too. Uh, <laughs> so what can I say? You know, but uh, so I guess every once in a while we uh, we have that. Um, but no, we had Dan on, and he was Jewish, so we were pretty well represented. We also had Green Party folks in our in our in our panel at times, and also uh, Libertarians, Constitution Party, Republicans. We haven't had any Democrats, but that's all. Right. Hey, uh, Robert, a compliment <laughs> is, is a compliment is due you because yeah, okay, we, we not you. We turn it into the guards' barge logic gospel hour, but what you do is you are respecting our liberties to express our thoughts, feelings, or beliefs. And so, you know, high kudos to you on on that one. Here, here. Well, well I appreciate you're, that, Kelly. You're what an, is it you're an it, it's, you're, you're an enigma. Go ahead. You you <laughs> are an enigma. No, I appreciate that, Cindy. Um, but you know, it's, as I said, that's why it's not my name attached to the show. Uh, but we haven't heard uh, from Susan for a bit, so let's go ahead and get uh, 
uh, Susan's take, and then unfortunately we'll have to do our closing comments for tonight uh, before I uh, have to shut things down, unfortunately. Go ahead, uh, Susan. <clears throat> well, I like his music. Um, and uh, he has a message to it, you know, a point to it. Um, but I did want to, uh, you know, you were talking about the uh, I think Cindy was talking about the conspiracy part or whatever. And uh, I got a message from TeaParty.org and uh, his the president's thugs are screaming for citizen disarmament. Um, do you think that these attacks are random? Uh, they believe that it's a set for a national state of emergency uh, to ignite a gun and ammo grab. And uh, they did it before, and I, I know this very well, Fast and Furious, putting the guns into here to come back and kill citizens. And there was people that died because of that. It wasn't just Benghazi. It was Fast and Furious. That was that was uh, before Benghazi. And um, uh, the, the last acts of the collapsing president's regime will be devastating to the American people. And uh, they will resort to anything from assassination, torture, and blackmail to make the global good and the disarmament of America. They're going to attack the people and the Constitution like never before. And it comes through nationalization, also a private asset, uh, which they have nationalized. Railways, coal mines, 88 steel mills, armaments, farm and grazing land, and briefly the Montgomery Ward Department chain store. (laughs) I didn't know that. uh, Washington stepped in, took 80%. Stake in the Continental Illinois National Bank and Trust, which is why I use credit unions anyway. Um, to the Federal Reserve, they have money flow and rate control, and it goes on here to utility companies and different things. And I, this is it's really scary. Um, congressmen most of them don't realize what's coming down the pike, and. Um, I will honestly say, I, my friend Bo, her uh, cousin is Senator Russell Pierce, she really believes, unlike you guys, that he will make sure Hillary is out of the picture, not by killing her or anything, just arresting her or something, and he will try to assassinate Donald Trump so that he can stay in office. So, um, just reading this, this, uh they uh, they want to take your guns, your ammo, overnight gun and ammo sets will be converted into government property under the full authority of the president. So um, there you go. It's scary to me if he could use a national state of emergency to put it into uh, government property, uh, hostile takeover of this country. I don't trust him. I'm sorry. I don't think he'll care what Hillary wants or thinks if he can pull that off. That is. Well, I'm trying well, to find somebody who does. It would turn constraints. Uh, we'll probably have to be another part of our next show, which is next Wednesday at 10 p.m. 
uh, Eastern time. Uh, I am working on a, a guest for next week. Probably won't be able to be uh, next week. Uh, but here's a couple of uh, show updates, and then we'll have to take some closing comments uh, from Matt uh, before I close things out, is that starting uh, the third week in July, this is something I'm uh, looking at, and we'll see uh, if this uh, happens. But I'm considering actually with the show having it start one hour earlier uh, than it has been. So right now it has been 10 p.m. Eastern time has been the starting time of the show. I am uh, considering and looking into making it uh, one hour earlier, which would be 9 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, so that's something that's well, maybe a change uh, coming uh, after the uh, July. It says this is the third week in July. And uh, there will not be, uh, at best, there may be a, uh, a rebroadcast in July, uh, which if that, that happens, that would be uh, on July 13th, because yours truly will be in Washington, D.C., uh, taking my uh, trip down there, uh, taking my daughter to go see uh, – you know, all the, of course, landmarks, everything down there, which she That's missed. really cool. Uh, from, yeah, she, well, she she was supposed to go with her eighth-grade class, uh, but she missed it uh, due to uh, hospitalization. And so I wanted her to be able to still have that experience, so we're going to take her down there. Unfortunately, we got declined for our White House uh, tour. Uh, just not enough people uh, are, you know, is booked up, but we will be getting a, a tour of the Well, maybe, so maybe be, they've heard your show and you're on the uh, the no White House list. <laughs> <laughs> that very well may be. That is the gave me, but that, 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 that's a possibility. But, but what I, about Arlington, Arlington, or Monticello, or Mount Vernon? Yeah, I don't, we don't have a full itinerary. We're only going to be there for four days. Um, I don't know exactly. All, I know we're going to do a tour of the Capitol, and then just uh, if we have a couple other places, we're going to you know go down there. Uh, the place we're staying is only going to be about a half-hour walk. I better not give too many details, actually, where we're going to be at. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so anyway, we're we're about out of time, unfortunately. So what I have to do is just get a quick uh, maybe, you know, one-minute closing comments from you, Matt. And I apologize for being rushed, but then i got to close out the show. Uh, not at so all. Go ahead. Fantastic show. You know, um, all of you guys were phenomenal. When the quotes were pouring in, what a great show. And, uh you know, if you want to hear more music, uh, come on over to PatriotMusic.com. Sign up for the newsletter. I've got all sorts of interviews planned and uh, TV and some big national interviews planned again um, and uh, six new releases in the next month. So uh, keep in touch, everyone. Sign up for the newsletter. Come on over to PatriotMusic.com. Thank you so much, Robert, Cindy, and uh Joe and uh, Kelly, all you guys, awesome. Thank you. We appreciate Thank you, June. We definitely, I'll, I'll get you uh, the uh, contact information for Kelly, and I definitely want to uh, be in contact with you as well from you know other topics. You know, I want to discuss with you uh, on our off the air conversation. Uh, definitely want to uh, continue on with that in, in other shows uh, moving and, and, forward. And if uh, I may, really quickly, I'm forgetting another caller's name and um, Denise. Susan. Susan, yes, Susan, Susan, awesome, thank you. I I knew, I sensed that, I'm sorry, didn't mean to leave you out, thank you so much. (laughs) Well, it can't be any worse than me not knowing this guest name. (laughs) (laughs) 
No worries. It's all good. All of our hearts are in similar places. That's what matters. Yeah. And with that, that's a good way to end uh, things. And so I will uh, have to end it with that. Hey, and I will end tonight's show as I do every night. And that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn, speaking of music. And you can hear more of uh, her music by going to www.aubreyashburn.com. So thank you, everyone, for coming to the show. We'll see you again. And uh, just keep your fingers crossed because, uh, again, I'm working on getting Pat, uh, to get Pat Buchanan on the show. I'm uh, getting back in contact uh, with his gate, you know, getaway person. So hopefully we'll be able to, uh, to have him freed up the schedule uh, so he can come onto the show. So, uh, as we say, take care, good night, and we'll see you next time. Good night. Good night.